Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the MinMax Show podcast, a place about games, friends, and getting better. Thank you for being here. We got a damn full crew and a damn fun crew. Uh, I'm Ben Hansen, if I haven't said that yet. I'm joined by Jacob Geller. Hello. Joined by Kelsey Lewin. Hi. Joined by Kyle Hilliard. I'm back. He lives. And joined by Jana Garcia. Hello. I am so excited about this episode. We have so much to talk about. Uh, we have a surprise to kick it off, which I'll get to in a second. Don't let me forget. Then we're going to be talking about Metroid Prime Remastered. Jacob Geller, please tell me you've been playing this. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, then we are reviewing the PSVR. <laughs> uh, it's so good. Uh, PSVR 2, everybody. Uh, Sony sent us uh, one of these dealies, so we're going to be talking about this, sharing our full thoughts. on. Ben, uh, ben, can you wear the headset for the entirety of that segment? Can you put it on your head? I will, but only for the audio listeners. So trust us, oh, audio okay. listeners. I'm wearing it uh, throughout <laughs> the entire thing. Um, so in that, we're going to be talking about Horizon Call of the Mountain. Then we're going to be talking about some sort of new Double Fine documentary about the creation of Psychonauts 2 called Psych Odyssey. Talking about a documentary, how interesting can that be? I'll tell you. Um, then we're going to talk a little bit about Wild Hearts, which is the new Monster Hunter-like game from EA, an EA original uh, from the creators of Dynasty Warriors, just to make it nice and confusing. Uh, and then back half of the show, we truly have some miraculous uh, questions from the community that people submitted over there on Patreon. But first, for this fun Man, surprise. The AI nailed that intro. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we got like three comments of people like they wrote their comment through the AI and they were eerie. And it's like, I don't know if I want to be like promoting this in a way to like just get an AI to write us your questions. We, we got to never do it again. But I loved the one. I loved the surprise twist in that. Thank episode. you. It, it, was, it was a good bit. Thank yeah. you. Hey, you two listen to the podcast. Thank you. Very sweet. Um, okay. People have been asking, at least three people on the internet have been asking, what are you tackling next for the deepest dive? What could it possibly be? And full disclosure, we were jumping around, thinking about a lot of things in the early couple months here. Like, could we do this? Should we do GoldenEye? Should we do blah, 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 blah? Um, and then there was one that everyone said, I'm excited about this. Why aren't we doing this? This is the perfect deepest dive. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Um, so full disclosure. This is going to be a funky Deepest Dive schedule because we're going to be doing some back-to-back. -back. We'll see if you can guess what the one after this is going to be, but I think you're all going to be very excited about it. Um, but the next Deepest Dive, everybody. Drum rolls won't really work through Discord, so if you could just... You have to make an audio drum roll with your mouth, I think is the best way to go, everybody. <laughs> just... Um, is it working or is oh, no one oh, doing oh, it? Oh, yeah, oh, okay, oh, okay, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The next deepest dive, everybody, is Like a Dragon Ishin, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're doing it. Uh, we are creating the best, most thorough discussion about the new Yakuza game, Like a Dragon Ishin. This is one that's interesting, where hopefully it'll be like um, Yakuza 0, where it's going to be a new entry point for a lot of folks, because this is technically a remake of the PS3, PS4 game. It's also available on PS4, which is a fascinating, weird bit of game history. Um, but uh, the whole idea with this one is it takes place hundreds of years in the past, and it's kind of like an alternate past scenario, but what if the Yakuza characters were reincarnated in the past in these other roles. Is that the best way to put it, Jacob Geller? I don't really understand this thing. If the characters are like actors in an acting troupe, this is like a, another story. Yeah, it feels right. almost like, like Wizard of Oz, where it's like, and you were there, and you. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, the good news is, I hear this one is quite good, so it's going to be fun. So, we are going to be playing through this game and talking about it in three big game club discussions with you in the community. If you support us on Patreon at the $2 tier, you can submit a comment for 
for us to read during our discussions. And also you can unlock the podcast version of those discussions at the $5 tier on Patreon. Otherwise, they'll be up on YouTube for everybody. Three-parters. It's going to be, so the game releases on February 21st, next week we're talking. Then we're going to be collecting comments on February 27th for the first episode. And in that first chunk, we're going to be covering everything in the game uh, with the prologue and then play through chapter four. So prologue and then play through chapter four. That is what we're covering in that first discussion. And the funky thing with the steepest dive is uh, Leo Vader is going to be hosting it. Very exciting. And then Sarah Podzorski is going to be on it. And then Jacob Geller, you're on it as well, right? I'm on it. Sweet. I better be. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're also going to be joined by a friend of the show who hasn't been on the show, but Michael Hyam, formerly of Fanbyte. He's been on a lot of episodes of the Bombcast. Uh, He wrote the IGN review for Hi-Fi Rush, but he's a big Yakuza fan. So he's going to be jumping in and joining that crew. So just as a fan, I can't wait to play the game myself and then listen along to that whole thing. But I'm very excited to to have that all happening. And I'm not going to be hosting it because I don't want to get burned out. And I'm going to be hosting the one next, which again, you can probably uh, look at the release calendar and figure out when that's going to be coming up and what it is. But Deepest Dive, like a Dragon Ishan, help spread the word, jump in, uh, help create the best, most our discussion about this fun game on the internet, everybody. Okay. I, I was debating what do we start this podcast with. There's a lot of highlights that we can get to here, but th- I figure there's one game that we all have some history with or some thoughts on that we should really dive in here for Metroid Prime. We should unpack this. So it was the big uh, stealth drop, uh, shadow drop from Nintendo, the long rumored, I mean, Kyle, we've been hearing about this thing, <laughs> that this remaster existed for like five years, six like years? 17? Yeah, it's really. Maybe? And maybe the sources we heard were lying. I don't know what was going on there. But then suddenly Nintendo said, bam, Metroid Prime remastered. It's out now. Take it or leave it. And the glimpses that I've heard on the internet is, um, my God, are we taking it? And it is better than we all expected. And it rules. And it's more of an overhaul than we expected. Okay, so Jacob, you're playing this thing. Kyle, you're playing the remaster too? Uh, yes, that and Minish Cap, obviously, back and forth between those two on my Switch. Hey, by the way, I want to talk about Metroid Prime. Have you played that Alone in the Dark on Game Boy Color game that's on the Switch now, Kyle? I did. What the hell is that? What a weird thing. (laughs) I kind of want to play more of it. It's, it's kind of like a Resident Evil, and I mean like Resident Evil in the sense of like tank controls on a Game Boy Color Mm -hmm. game. I was, it was definitely one I beeline to. I was like, why on earth is this included in this? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sarah and Leo, I, Leo and I drank a lot of wine for New Show Plus this week and played it, and it, it, it blew my mind. It's like, how did that know this weird thing existed? The yeah, point yeah. is, there's also Metroid Prime on the Switch. But Janet, I know you were curious about it. Did you end up picking up the remaster? Uh, no, not yet. I'm just okay. kind of saving it for when I have more time. But I did play a little bit of it, like when it originally released, and I'm excited to go back Ooh. and actually finish it because I don't think I saw it through as a kid because I was really not into playing anything that was first person right. and that's why I didn't play it and I didn't play first person games for like another generation or two generations well, that's interesting. and it's also I mean one of the things we'll talk about is like that version of first person on the GameCube is essentially it, it feels like a different genre you know it's like yes. the way yeah. that that game controlled compared to the way that this game controls yeah I, I thought it was interesting that they that they left in the ability to just kind of play it like that, like that you can no, you can make it feel like those. trash if you want. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I gotta say though, I uh, I have this cute little CRT monitor that I'm in love with, 
and I hooked that up and booted up the original GameCube game yesterday and was playing through the opening. And it's like, first of all, that game, I think, still looks amazing. Just the original, not even the remaster, especially when you're playing on a TV this small and whatnot. And then, like, I know everyone is complaining about the controls, but there's part of it's like, maybe just because I love this game so much back in the day, but it really doesn't bug me that much, the original controls, because it's not, it's not I mean, it like was, an FPS, you know? It's one of those things where it was designed around those controls. Right, right. Functions in there, but, like, once you have that right control stick to look around, like... It's just not how, I think, like, we interact with video games anymore so it's a for me at least it's a difficult thing to go back to because yes i mean at the time i was not super used to moving things around with a second stick right like that is now the language of video games and so to go back to this sort of like i don't obviously not ancient but like it, it feels like it is very of another era like speaking a language that does not get used anymore like you know yeah. there's a lot of old games um or new games that are meant to play and look like old games this is not one of those types of things that has translated this isn't like you know oh we made a pixel platformer just like the nes days it's like it, it's just not something that i think has been done since the you know early 2000s so yeah. it, it feels weird to me yeah it, it, it is a weird game in general but jacob geller i'm fascinated by the fact that you never played metroid prime I've never played the only the only one that I've played is three because my my first console was a Wii. And so I played Metroid Prime three when it released there. But I haven't gone back to any of the other ones because I kept thinking, well, they'll re-release them soon. Uh, And (laughs) 10 years after I first thought that I was right. Uh, It seems up your alley. Am I wrong? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, it's like, you know, super atmospheric. And uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm loving it. I like. I was sure that I would, uh, but yes, I was correct. <laughs> what, what is it? What stands out to you? Like, can you imagine if this is like a new game released today, or do you feel the antiquity even in the remaster here? I no, I I don't think it feels particularly old. I mean, like the stuff that stands out is the stuff that I had already kind of heard people talk about, which is like the music and yeah. how you know i was like I, i'm a huge super metroid fan and so like you know when you go into a new area and you hear that new music is always such a good experience and this has the same as that of like oh you go into the finandra drifts oh. or whatever and that like six synth kicks That's in so good. <laughs> six synth. um i love i mean this is just like a classic metroid prime thing but like the reflection the visor reflection thing i think is the coolest graphical touch still that like any first person shooter does well it was uh, it was interesting to play it right after finishing like dead space uh yeah remake because it was like there's like more overlap there than i sort of ever gave it credit for in terms of uh in university ui and like you know in mm-hmm. terms of like right. everything in dead space is happening in the world of dead space and it's like oh that's what's happening with Metroid Prime as well. Everything is on screen are the things that she's seeing. It just it feels closer to f- typical uh, video game UI, um, and that and that sort of lends to the sort of just seeing the flashes of her face occasionally. Sort of, uh, is all part of that. And, yeah, yeah, and know, also like so having having that 3D map. You know, it's like the yeah. Dead Space map, and like there are a ton of games. There's just like they're just copying the Metroid Prime map. You know, that that this is Kelsey, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm sure, you know, but this is like one of the earliest one of those like 3D rotatable map screens, right? 
And that's a great question that I do not know the answer <laughs> it, it, to. It, it, I can't right. think of an earlier example, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah, certainly one that like works well, like this one does. Mm-hmm. I think that gives you a good sense of exactly where you're at and stuff. And you spend so much time staring at that map. But yeah, this was this was the first Metroidvania game I ever played, and I remember back in the day going through it. Uh, I'm holding off on the remaster. I don't want to play too much or anything because uh, the first one. I got to play the GameCube version on the CRT. <laughs> That's right, because I'm really busy playing that. No, because I got really nauseated playing the first one. Like, this is the first game where it really sunk in. They're like, oh, I can get sick to my stomach playing a game. I remember just being in, like, cold sweats, but still trying to finish this game through my nausea because I loved it so much when I was a kid. Man, so, we're talking about PSVR 2 later. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Jacob, I mean, are you locked in? You're going to finish this thing? I think so. I'm there. There are a lot of games coming out soon, yeah. but I it's also interesting to have no idea how far I am because I don't know how long this game is. Right. And so it's like, you know, I don't know. I got the the spider ball pickup. So like that far. Um, but this <laughs> is it's felt like an absence on my kind of gaming history sheet for years now. So I really yeah. want to finish it just to like have beat Metroid Prime. Yeah, totally. And Kyle, I and it you. looks good. Have we talked about it? It looks really good. <laughs> yeah, it's better than I expected. That's yeah. the thing. So, I mean, maybe they didn't highlight it enough in the direct, like how much they were kind of giving us a new coat of paint. Because it, it eventually came out that Retro is the studio that did the remaster, which is really cool. The original developers and stuff, and I'm sure it's a nice way for the team to dive in and soak in the designs of Metroid Prime One before hopefully continuing the development of Four. Um, but yeah, Kyle, what stands out to you as somebody who just played the original not too long ago and then diving into this thing? Yeah, I, pl- I played it for the... F- Actually, I-, I played it when it came out, right? Like dabbling at a friend's house and stuff like that. But I the first time I beat it was 2020. I oh, played weird. the Wii version, uh, which also lets you, you know, essentially look around with the right control stick using the, the Wii remote pointer. Um, but yeah, the big thing for me was like, first of all, booting up is like how... Yeah, how good it looks. I yeah. was like, this looks so much better than I expected it to look on on the Switch. Like... And the more I played it, the more because initially I was like, "Oh, it looks like they redid Samus's model. They redid the ship," but it's like, "No, I think they touched everything That's in so some amazing. way." I don't know if they did new textures or what, but like, it looks so good. The lighting is different. Like, it's it's impressive how much work went into it. And then the other thing is like, I played it, you know, a, two or three years ago. I was like, "Am I really going to play this again?" And then I do, but I find myself returning to it. Like, I'll pick up the Switch, I'll play a little Minish Cap, and then I'll be like, you know, I'm going to go play, like, an hour of Metroid. Like, I, I I, might end up making my way through it again because it's just so good. It just holds up so well. Yeah. I was wondering, and this is this is one of these dumb video game definitional things. Like, this is called Metroid Prime Remaster. Right. But it's pretty much a remake, right? I mean, it's a remake in the same sense that, like, Shadow of the Colossus PS4 is a remake, where, like, well... the geometry is different. Wait, really? Like, it's like, when you when you look at, like, the, the Digital Foundry comparison, it's like, this is not, like, they polished up existing textures. It's like, it it, it is a completely different mm. looking game, and I really don't think the models are, like, the same with higher definition textures. I think huh. they're like completely different models. I don't know. I feel like we need more words or something because, you know, you have something <laughs> yeah. like a Final Fantasy VII remake, which is, a, you know, a 100% overall, like overhaul, nothing yeah. like the original game. And then you have, yeah, like a, you know, something where just the textures are are polished a little bit. 
And then something like this is somewhere in the middle. It's like yeah. it is better than just a texture polish and like a new, you know, slap a new coat of paint on it. But it also like it's very much still the same game. Like it is not they didn't really change. Yeah, I mean, not, I, I have not, not like played much yet. But dead space. Right. Right. Yeah. We need we, we need, need just, more words. We need a spectrum <laughs> and just have a line. And then every publisher can agree and be like, OK, this is landing here on the chart from port to reimagining slash remake you know it needs to be somewhere on there but i'm sure sony would have called this a from the ground up remake if they were trying to market it but nintendo just says it's a remaster it's out now okay whatever uh also real quick there's yeah. a now this is a, a a spoiler for the end of the game like so maybe skip ahead if you don't want to hear you about your mind like, what are you doing you can you can you can see samus without her helmet on depending mm. on like how you get through the game and apparently in the gamecube version she just blinked and but her eyes blinked separately like Toy like Story One, left eye, right eye, you know. <laughs> yeah, but so she winks at you. Yeah, she yeah, winks they're... with both <laughs> eyes in the GameCube version. But so for the remaster, they fixed that. Now she blinks correctly with both eyelids at once. <laughs> oh, they ruined it. Why canon Samus blinks with each eye independently? Yeah. Why are they desexualizing I mean, we all know Samus? That she's human, right? Is she a human being from Earth? I don't think she is, right? Uh, she's from Earth. Is she? <laughs> I don't know. Well, is I mean, there was like that from Earth. There was that old marketing sheet that we had at Game Informer for Super Metroid where she had like green hair and stuff, right? So she oh, was yeah. born on the Earth colony K2L. So I don't think okay. she was born on Earth. Oh, but okay. my grandpa's from there. <laughs> oh, how is it? Is it nice? <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah, I think it's just fascinating to think of Metroid Prime. And I remember talking to the developers because, you know, the... Uh, some of the leads, including the director, went and formed that Armature Studio, which is now owned by Facebook, which is all of our fate. But um, I remember talking to them a, a couple times, like on the Game Informer show and on cover story trips and stuff. And it's so fascinating to just hear like the behind the scenes stories of the development of Metroid Prime. And because their perspective was just like it was a frustrating rush development, very stressful, a lot of crunch, all that uh, nonsense and chaos. And But they told the story about like how in the retro office they had like a piece of concept art. And it was like Samus with like her helmet off and she just looked like a badass. Basically, just like full on Ripley, right? She's like, ah, with like a huge gun in her hand and stuff. And that was their perspective. It was like, this is the game we want to make. And then every discussion they had with the Nintendo, Nintendo would be like, uh, well, obviously, first and foremost, this is a game about scanning things. Like, what are you talking? No, it's about Samus being this badass bounty hunter. And like them meeting in the middle was like this perfect fusion, no pun intended, for Metroid Prime, right? Where it's just like this atmospheric, weird game, but kind of has some Texas first-person shooter influence in the design as well. And it's just, it's so unique as just this perfect meld there. Yeah, I mean, it's like, well, Nintendo was right. You know, scanning things is kind of the best part of the game. <laughs> oh, yeah, it holds up maybe holds up better than shooting, maybe. But yeah, Metroid Prime. Curious to see uh, what people think about it in the community if you're if you're playing that thing. Um, okay, PSVR two. Sony sent us uh, one for MinMax, which is very nice. And then Janet, you're playing kind of funnies, and Kyle's you're playing Game Informers. That's right. <laughs> Hell yeah, I like independent media. This is great. Let's just take it where we can get it. Um, okay. Uh, how much have you all played? Janet, how much have you dove into this thing? Oh, I don't know. I wasn't keeping track. I went really intense for two separate days. So I would sure. say anywhere between 8 and 16 hours. Probably okay. closer to 8 than 16. All right. 16 is kind of excessive. but Yeah. I'm, I'm on the smaller end of things. Maybe like three hours or four hours of this end for, for dinking around with a bunch of different games. But Kyle, where are you at? Uh, I finished Horizon. Nice. Call the Mountain. And then I've played, I've got a bunch of other games, but I haven't dove into a lot of them. A lot of them are games I've already played. 
Yes. Uh, like I played through the beginning of Tetris Effect and a little bit of Res and stuff like that. Um, but Horizon mainly. is the big one. Uh, I finished that. Yeah, I'm totally with it, Kyle, where I booted it up and I'm like, I know there's new stuff to get to, but Tetris Effect is Tetris Effect. And so I went and I couldn't stop playing that again. I'm like, this is so stupid. I played this game so many Dude. times. I need to stop. It's unbelievable. When, when we're, we're all, what is it? I don't know what the exact lyric is, which kind of undercuts my point, but we're, we're all together, right? Is we're all connected in this life. Yeah, yeah don't you forget it. Yeah. Like in VR, man, it, like I tear up. I like know. I, there's something about it. It just like, it works. I don't know. That song. I, I just, yeah. yeah. Not I, that we need to go down a Tetris effect. No, let's talk about that singer. I played that song at my wedding, man. Like I love that song, song so much. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, okay. And then the hardware itself, PSVR 2. Um... I feel like I know where I'm landed. So Janet, the queen of PlayStation, you host a kind of funny PlayStation podcast. What's your read on this PSVR 2 so far? Um, it's fine. Like, I think yes. it's a really, <laughs> as far as like the hardware itself, I think the hardware, hardware is great. Uh, as someone that doesn't have the Ocul- the MetaQuest 2, like I only have the one, yeah. I do think this is going to be my main place that I'll be playing moving forward because it'll probably be getting, well, hopefully be getting the kind of support that you see on the MetaQuest 2. So right. like, if they can keep up with like new releases, I don't really see a reason for me to like deviate from this now that I do have PSVR 2. Yeah. Definitely more comfortable, definitely a step up. Weirdly, it looks a lot more similar to PSVR 1 than I thought it would, even though I've seen pictures, but like when I got it in person, I'm like, oh yeah, this is definitely like the next iteration of that headset line. Yeah. Um, but really, it's the library that I think is sort of the damning element of the launch um, and why I'm kind of landing at, oh, it's fine, because yeah. really, we don't have a lot of new stuff to talk about other than Call of the Mountain, which I think leaves a bit to be desired. I don't think yeah. it's the killer app that it kind of needed to be, which I'm sure we'll dig into more. But that's kind of why I land in a little bit more of a, a middling point, even though I definitely had some really cool highs with like playing um, What the Bat and stuff like that, which again has been out already. But playing that game, I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. I'm having a great time. Playing some other games, I'm like, I was going through the ringer playing PSVR 2 in terms of nausea, especially with Call of the Mountain. And yeah, yeah, because it doesn't have teleportation, I don't think. Um, it just has like, you could move your hand. It's a whole thing. The we'll talk is, about it. It's weird. It's been a lot. Deep diving into yeah. VR is very intense. It is all right. It, it, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. It, and I'm sure, and we'll talk about it later, but I think from their perspective, it's like, well, Horizons, one of our premier series at this point, and like at launch, we have a whole VR exclusive experience in Horizon. It's for everybody. And even that, I don't think is enough to wow me. And it, you can look at like the launch lineup for PSVR 2. It's just a lot of like, old VR experiences, some some good. There's Tetris effects out there. There's good stuff to jump yeah. to, but a lot I of it- I don't it, think Beat Saber's in there either, which is- Oh, because they're also owned I by Facebook coming now? a little later. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think they're going to have it, but mm-hmm. it's just yeah. not- Not a launch one. Right, and, and uh, Resident Evil Village, uh, fully playable in VR, that's coming a little bit later as well, but it's just right around the corner. So it is yeah. just this weird experience of jumping into it, and the hardware, it's like, okay, this feels good. It's unquestionably better than PSVR 1, um, but then you're just kind of diving through a lot of these kind of tech demo experiences that feels like what year is it? it feels like 2016 all over again. I'm <laughs> just like jumping through these things and, and maybe I was just in a bad mood or something, but like put it on for the first time and it's like, Hey, now your head's vibrating. We have little vibrations in the headset, which is like, sure. Fine. I don't think that's immersing anybody 
one percent more into any experience but you know what i'll take it a step further and say i actively dislike it okay all right you can go that way (laughs) and then also it's like okay now we're gonna scan your eyes so we can track your eyes you need to look and follow this like red dot around so that you can kind of control the ui with your eyes instead of like moving your head to choose from a menu you have the option for a lot of games just like looking at it and it it grossed me out. I got to that point, not like a nausea level, but just kind of like, what are we doing? What, what is society doing where this is this is supposed to be the dividing line where that makes this thing like exciting to to buy and play and spend six hundred dollars on? It's like it's it's just I I think that, I was just, I I got stubborn over that idea of like there was so much hype for VR back in you know the twenty sixteen era and it's like oh unquestionably I think VR is cool I think everyone should experience it in some way. But it just feels like this weird time travel thing of like, I, I can't get excited about VR again in a way that makes it recommendable for this at the base bundle of $550. It's just, you got to find some way to play it, find a friend that's rich or something. But like, <laughs> at this point, I don't know, man. Um, yeah. Did did any of y'all play uh, Before Your Eyes? Because that's one Ooh. that I'm very curious about because I think it uses the eye tracking. Yeah. Uh, it's which... not available yet. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it's. But I'm, I'm on there. I actually emailed them very early on when mm. I was on the PSVR two review, and I was like, "I, I really want to try this." <laughs> so yeah, please, like yeah. I'm excited for that implementation. I do think, and it's cute when it's um another common implementation of the eye tracking is like talking to characters, like oh, look at a character and press circle or something, and then you kind of get their attention. Sure. Um, that's probably the most interesting part. The UI part, I actually kind of dislike but then when i turned it off i disliked having to turn my head because i got used to it so i don't know it's okay yeah but it did make me realize holy cow are my eyes chaotic my eyes dart around like it'll be like i'm like oh my gosh no let's just turn this off and then they also have a thing where um which every vr headset even the first one had this where it's like the spacing between your eyes you kind of adjusted to change the focus never was i more sure that i have weirdo freakazoid eyes than having Mm. to try to get (laughs) my eye literally like get your eyes in the center and I'm like cool and I could never get them in the center and I'm like I don't think my eyes are like are correct which is fine like I'm okay with that you know I've had glasses for forever but I'm like you need can can I make one eye go way further out than the other eye because my eyes are all over the Something's place and they don't wrong. fit properly in here I mean I kind of had that feeling too where it's like okay they I they talked to a big game about the resolution for this thing, how much better it is than PSVR 1, and that was definitely a weakness for the first PSVR. I get that. But there's still a part of me that put this headset on. It's like, you know, it it just bums me out that kind of being checked out from the world of VR for a while to come back into it and be like, okay, if you're still a mil- millimeter away and it's not just right, things are going to be a little bit blurry. Like, reading text in VR unquestionably sucks. Oh, su- subtitles in VR is like the worst subtitle experience ever <laughs> because they are weirdly like... It feels like you're watching like a 3D movie, but they put the 3D effect on the subtitles. Right, right. Yeah. And they're like kind of removed from you, and it it's just kind of I don't know trippy, but I don't know. Should we dig in and call them out? I feel like we well, can obviously nitpick yeah. the. Yeah, I, I want to hear about things, it. Well, I, I well, do want to talk about that too. I but. think you nailed it, Hanson, and, and just like you, you put on the headset, and it's like ah, that's still not like that, right? Like, it's yeah. like if you're not perfectly lined up, it's still a problem. And that's kind of my big sort of underwhelming thing about PSVR two is like it's more comfortable. The controllers are better. Um, it feels good on your head like it's a nice piece of hardware yeah uh, it's it's easy to set up but it's like when you get down to playing games it only feels like a little better than psvr one like a lot of the same right. problems still persist it looks a little clear the pass-through camera which should be a requirement on every vr headset is yeah. there and that's great like that's the best camera like that looks better than quest 2 when you do the pass-through camera on quest 2 and it stuff. is it is the weirdest thing on that like, note. like it's 
it's just better than PSVR one. That's kind of mm-hmm. like the most positive thing I can say about it, but it's not, it's not a revelation of VR, which is like, maybe it was on me for hoping it would be Yeah, like it would just, but it's, it's not, it's, it's got a lot of the same issues. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's my takeaway too, is just like, if you want to buy PSVR two and you're curious about it, you like high end tech, that's cool. Go for it. But it's like, if you're on the fence, ask people who bought PSVR one, how they felt about that purchase. <laughs> Cause I feel like it's going to be about the same. And I haven't seen a roadmap, at least from Sony that has me thinking this is going to be notably different. In fact, it just feels like it has, has a little bit less company enthusiasm at this point. Maybe there'll be a state of play next week and they'll p- put a roadmap out that'll blow me away. But at this point it just feels oh, like it is Astrobot. They don't even need a, yeah, right. They need Astrobot. Yeah, just, just get them in there. Heliport of Rescue Mission. I'll take know. that. I will say, no, like the, the pass through camera was like the biggest epiphany, I think, of playing this thing is like the first time where you're <laughs> setting it all up, which, by the way, we should point out, yeah, compared to PS4R1, night and day difference for setup. Yes. It's super yes. easy. You really just Much plug better. a cable into the front, you're basically good to go. It's it's a miracle. Um, So I don't want to. It's very funny that things. your favorite feature is the one that lets you see the world like you no, can without no, wearing no, but true. like setting it up is the first time that it was like and i hadn't even thought about the pass-through camera but suddenly i'm just seeing my living room but like in 3d and it just it freaked me out in a way i'm just like again it freaked me out it was like, like this it. is impressive but at the same time it just made me feel gross about just like what, what are we doing here everybody um i, I guess think the room scan too is and again yeah. these aren't like new ideas into the vr space but the room scan is very convenient with like getting to set up your border and then adjusting it like it takes a lot of the comforts that meta has kind of popular mainstreamed i guess i don't want to say like invented because obviously there's been plenty of vr tech before like metaquest made it very much a conversation piece i think in the game space because it's so easy and affordable compared to like the competitors of the time um but it has a lot of that same comfort um i am curious really quick and i I don't want to spend too much time just like nitpicking little hardware things but um how the controllers feel in your hands i think it's Mm. super comfortable yeah but i am curious with y'all who have like bigger wrists like i have really really skinny wrists like do you get caught it out because it has like this weird circular like enclosement yeah. around almost like a big wristlet so i'm not I'm a gorilla wondering. i can i can fit my hand through this just fine yeah no it's it's yeah. it's all right but when you the, like move you don't feel like it is no. impeding anything or anything like that no it's all right i would knock them together sometimes but oh, that's i did knock silly. them together a couple of times because there was um for what the bat the reset is to like hit the bottom of the bat that's in your right hand right and also like Again, we got to talk about what the bat though, because like what the bat was like fire. <laughs> yeah, it was like the what, the best thing I've played in VR in a really long time, and I was in love with that game. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of little things like Song of the Smoke. I need to get to. I haven't started that yet, but that's from 17 bit. I've been curious about that one for a while. Um, <clears throat> sidewise, Clockwinder. What was that game again, Jacob Keller? Uh, the, the last clock. Last, last clockwinder. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really want to check that out. I mean, you and Leo were speaking so highly of it. So there's like some newer VR experiences. I'm, I'm curious to check out, but based on reviews and stuff, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a game changer for overall takeaway for PSVR 2. But yeah, just the headset uh, before we forget. Yeah, it's coming up February 22nd and it's 550 in the US and then 600 if you want to get the the Horizon Call of the Mountain bundle, which is the big game at the launch here. Um, okay, the new Horizon experience. Janet, as Horizon fan number one on planet Earth, what did you think about taking the call of the mountain? Bring, bring. This franchise can't wait. Like it's so tough being on this team. You know what I mean? And I didn't even like. I'm just a player, right? I'm just a humble player uh-huh. enjoying games. I love Horizon. Um, and Horizon's like that doomed franchise that everyone agrees is great, but no one cares that it's great. Well, they the want press. it to be more. And yeah. I think Call of the Mountain is frustrating because it very much is kind of in that vein. Um, it's like a it, 
it's definitely a good game. I don't know if it's a great game. I'd, I have to finish it, I think, to have a little bit more of an opinion. Yeah. I think my my number one compliment towards Horizon Call of the Mountain is how well I think they execute combat um, for the VR space. I think they like, you know, they have the dodge in there. They have some of the slowdown elements. They have some really amazing stuff with, you know, we we're talking about like diegetic UI with it being in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, having your health on the glove, crafting the arrows like they do crafting so many cool the arrows. Things. That's the first time I was like, well, one of the first times I was like, OK, this is kind of cool. Like actually putting together like oh, yeah. a little, with the toxic arrow, whatever it's called, the acid arrow, like assembling that like that's kind of cool. Yeah. Like once you get in the flow of things, like I can show you clips from this where you'll be like, holy cow, this looks awesome. And it kind of is in a way like I do love <laughs> going up there and like fighting machines and like pulling the arrow back because like fighting machines is the best part of the Horizon games, in my opinion. And right. I think this is such a good like bow arrow game but i think the most damning thing that i have to say about call of the mountain besides the it's kind of like nauseating to like walk around the world in a way because you can either do the run thing with your hands or you can use the joystick which is more immersive but a little bit more nauseating but my biggest beef with the game is just that it feels like some very solid slash well-designed mechanics stitched together with the story tacked on to pretend that it's a cohesive experience when to me it does not feel like mm. a cohesive game that I'm playing. It feels like I'm playing a lot of good ideas that you put together, but I don't feel like I feel like you're walking me through ideas, not yes. putting me in a game world. Yep. I, I totally hear you. And I mean, the narrative stuff, I don't want to be mean, but it's like, I just don't care when it's like, you're just hearing this guy monologue and he's like, my brother, Org, I got to see if he's going to be okay. I need to get up to. It kind of sounds Don's like Nick reach. Offerman sometimes. It's just, too, it just, it's a boring guy monologuing about the horizon world where it's like, it's not, it's not exactly luring me in, but Kyle is somebody who's finished it. I'm curious, like how it evolves. What do you think about the whole package here? How long it is? I'm really curious about all these things. Oh, Long, I don't, yeah, maybe like six hours or something. Okay. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. Um, my problem with the game, not to like start off on a negative note, I agree with Janet that the combat is fun. Like okay. those combat encounters are fun and I like those a lot. But the majority of the game is climbing. Yeah. And I don't like the climbing is what it comes down to. It's, it's this, at, like if you can imagine a cat like pawing at like a, you know, a couch or something, that's the, that's essentially the gameplay. And it's not fun. And, and, and I don't like doing it. And yeah. I can't get past those climbing sequences fast enough. And that's like 70% of the game. And it's mind-boggling because, like, okay, climbing in VR, so you want to have this sense in your stomach, just like this dread and this pit in your stomach building. Like, if I fall, this is going to feel terrible and I can't do it. And, like, I, you know, I get a pit in my stomach if, like, in Ocarina of Time, like, jumping off a big ledge or something like that, you know? And then in this, I feel no dread fear of heights in the vr and when that's like the cornerstone of your gameplay is yeah. climbing it's it's not there like the coolest thing is climbing there's like the moss on the rocks and you can like rub the moss i was much more intrigued by that yeah. well, that's, that's than the other thing else. is like vr like look at these amazing vistas which you can do while you're climbing but for the most part you're a foot away from a cliff right and that's what the gameplay is yeah looking for chalk i don't like it <laughs> I didn't like it in the climb either. I don't like it in mm. Horizon. And like, it gets some points, like I said, because the combat's cool. And like, it actually, I think it, I think it helps you out a lot. I think it assists you a lot with aiming that bow and arrow. I don't think yeah. I'm that good with a bow and arrow. Oh, no, we're pro gamers, Kyle. Don't take this Was away from right? me. Yeah, you two are <laughs> but, uh, but man, it leaders. feels good when you shoot like a bird out of the sky, you know, with this like well-placed arrow. And that part's cool. And I like that. But like, it's just, it's not the majority of the game. So I, yeah. 
I, I, I did not particularly like uh, Horizon Call of the Mountain. It was cool. There, there's pockets of cool stuff. Like, you know, yeah. the first time you take down, forgive me, Janet, um, the kind of raptor machine in Horizon. Scrapper? Is it Stalker? Scrapper, Scrapper I think. Scrapper? Um, but, like, ripping its eye out. It's like, okay, that's a cool oh, feeling. Oh, uh, the Watcher. The Watcher, thank you. To actually, like, rip this eyeball out of this thing mechanically. That is that is a unique feeling. And, like, right. I don't want to I don't want to discount, like, even though it's very... Universal's Jurassic Park the ride like the opening when you're in that boat and they just have like every <laughs> Machine possible from horizon along the banks like which and, which by the way There's a mode you can unlock that's basically like a different version of that opening. Oh, really? Which is like actually like that's really smart in terms of like hey hey buddy come over to my house check out PSVR 2 you just yeah. plop them in this like passive sort of horizon mode that lets you just see a bunch of like robots in yeah. the world. It's like that's cool. That's because because it is. I mean, it's the classic VR thing. But like seeing, we've all seen tall necks in the game. We've climbed them. Yada yada yada. It's it's a fine time. Seeing a tall neck walk over the top of you. It's like okay, that is awesome. It is a cool thing to see. And there's even like jump scares at the beginning that I think work. And then everything else. Kind I also of I, I I do compliment like which is like the the world right. Like Horizon yeah. has a cool yep. aesthetic of like nature overtaking. Uh, technology and these like massive rusted robots and there are opportunities to just sort of look in the distance and see that kind of stuff and that's cool too like it's a good world to witness in vr because it looks cool yeah yep for sure i mean i'm curious to see from like the hardcore horizon fans if if they're squeezing a lot out of it um it's just it overall kind of summed up some feelings that for vr we're playing this it's just like you know we've had like six or so years of the world's greatest developers and publishers to try and nail a VR experience. Like Half-Life Alex, it's great. And then there's a bunch of fun little experiences, but just playing this, it was just like, this is the best we got. It's just checking back in on VR and it's just kind of a lot of tech demo stuff. We're like, I'm not going to bash the game for having a, a silly good time at times, but like, you know, they're trying to talk to you about the shadow Karja and this guy's brother and all this stuff but then meanwhile it's like and then I don't know here's like a tambourine and you can kind of flail it around like an idiot it's like okay well there was there's a table with right. a hammer and a bunch of uh clay pots and I was like all right that's good just give me that hammer and just right. like smash for a few minutes like, yeah, yeah yeah you're you're a maniac you know Aloy should be uh putting you back in jail with the way you're interacting <laughs> with the world at this point but that's fine um, uh can I uh while we're on the topic of VR I played uh non-PSVR uh, game that was really interesting. Ooh. Can I talk about that for like two minutes? Please, save it. Um, save VR. There's this there's this game that came out recently called The Utility Room that I had seen someone posting about, like the developer posting about on the indie game subreddit or whatever. That is, it, it's $12 on Steam. It's like a solo dev. And it's, the whole concept is just like, you know what PS, or you know what regular VR does really well? Uh, make things big. And so the entire concept of this game is you are just walking through big environments and there will be... This game's motif is kind of like big heads. And so it's like an Easter Island head that is literally like a thousand feet tall yes. will just go <laughs> past you. And it's like you talked about how cool seeing the tall neck uh, yeah. walk past is. It's like this whole game. It's just that it's just like right. what if things were really big and it is a it, it won't sell you on vr being more than just a tech demo experience but it is right. a very good tech demo experience <laughs> that's great yeah put it on psvr too and that's the thing i'm like yeah that sounds cool does it sound 550 dollars cool i mean that's that's the <laughs> no it's it 12 dollars cool right yeah. right oh oh I mean, my, my i don't know if we're wrapping up psvr 2 yet but like my my big takeaway is like if you're interested in vr man quest 2 yeah resident Evil 4 beat saber 
is like you're good like those are the three things that you need to get right and it's what three hundred dollars for the quest 2 at this point yeah and i think resume 4 is a little pricey i think it's like 30 bucks or something but okay. so good it's like one of my favorite vr experiences yeah it's one of the best games ever made so <laughs> well, good news. but it also tra- they translated it so well to vr i mean yeah yeah you know, yeah uh also just thinking about the psvr 2 like they have to be making a god of war experience right like Sony Santa Monica said, they're working Again, on multiple with that things. Arrow, like, just yeah. give me the arrow. Let me just shoot some stuff. It's, it has to be in the works. I don't know anything, but it has to. And then also, the God of War's rhombus of ruin. Yes, to, to find out what happened to Atreus. <laughs> exactly. VR game. Um, but then another one. I was just looking at like VR candidates in the future. It, is Power Wash Simulator not in VR? It's a, you can you can mod it. Like you can mod a lot of games to be in VR, but it's not officially supported. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, any chance? With VR? I think so. Is there anything else you want to say, Jana? Yeah, what the Bat's really good. What the Bat like, is good. It just really quick. <laughs> like it, not many games require room scaling, which is convenient because room scaling is hell on earth. They want a six by seven, six by seven space. And it's huge. Like I'll put pictures of it online later of what I had to do to make my living room big enough to play this game. <laughs> right. And when I was doing this, I'm like, I am not going to be doing this for these games. But then what the bet stepped in and I'm like, you know what? I would do anything for this game. <laughs> it is like I'm someone that did not fall in love with what the golf like. I thought it was cool, but I was just not as enamored with the shtick of it's like a game that's different, but nodding to a lot of games. I'm like, OK, that's cool. Something about it in VR, like yeah. it hits so hard. It is so awesome. I had so much fun. I beat that game. That's like the only game that I was able to see through to completion. And I don't know. I think that one was a reminder of the fun that can be had in VR. And I do get your point, Ben, that like it is disappointing that so many years after the start of mainstream VR, we still it seems like people aren't quite sure what makes a good VR game. And I don't know if I could tell you either kind of thing. It's like I just know it when I'm in there and it yeah. ends up working. And I think what the bat is one that really, really does work well. So, yeah, I just want to shout that out because that was like by far my favorite like experience with mm-hmm. PSVR 2. I say and, and again from my limited perspective on VR it seems like what makes a good VR game is having a silly or compelling experience for 20 minutes and that is not a good way to sell hardware that costs hundreds of dollars. I mean I think we have examples of games that aren't that are yeah. more than that though and yeah. are good like I think Moss is a great game I think yeah I do you know, have to check out Moss um, yep the uh you know Astro's Rescue Mission Astro Bot Rescue Mission is a great game that's true like, that is true I think we do have those longer experiences and I don't quite think Call the Mountains one of them, but like I think that is hopefully there are more down like the line for yeah. support on this, but I, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hey, Kelsey, I wanted to have you on uh, this episode um, because there's this game coming out called Wild Hearts. Um, yeah. And it's like a Monster Hunter game. Um, and I think you're like the biggest resident Monster Hunter fan. Is that fair to say? Uh, I think so. I mean, okay. I'm a huge Monster Hunter fan. I All don't right. know. Feel free to challenge my crown, but you know. no. I mean, I did a game club once in Monster Hunter World, and that's about, that's about the extent of it, I guess. Um, but Wild Hearts, uh, I'm trying to figure out where everybody's at. Kyle, you've played it as well. Yeah, like I played about like two hours for like a preview, okay. and uh, I'm not I'm not a Monster Hunter guy. I've really yeah. given it a shot, and it's never clicked with me. But there were elements of this where I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I, I think there's some cool ideas here with Wild Hearts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The making structures and things like that. That's yeah. the thing. So everybody else, I think, has started it at least, right? And then yeah, it it, it um 
it runs bad on PC. Ah. Um, it it just like it doesn't it doesn't feel good to play. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's not that I, important though, Jake. Uh, just play it. <laughs> yeah, just play it I guess. But but that's not the the reason that I stopped playing. And then I'll let Kelsey talk about why it's cool. Is that it uh, <laughs> just told me to start like gathering resources, and I mm-hmm. was just like, I I just don't want to play a game where I gather resources right now. That's a me problem. That's not a Wild Hearts problem. Yeah, because I think it is you problem, man. Because I, that's like the compelling thing about this game is like, oh, it is. You, you can imagine the pitch of Monster Hunter plus Fortnite. And it seems so silly and simplistic. We're like, hey, Monster Hunter, but what if you could build a bunch of cool stuff in there as well in a slightly creative way? But Kelsey, yeah, you don't need to be the uh, judge, jury, and executioner here, but I'm curious your perspective on this game. Yeah, so I, I have not put in nearly as much time as I want to yet just because I'm uh, I'm in the middle of a move, which is why I'm not in my house right now. Ah. Um, but I am, I'm really excited about this. I was very skeptical going in because I was just like, who can do Monster Hunter other than Capcom? Right, you know, and right. like, I don't know. I, I think I was being a hater going in. I'm like, EA, Koei Tecmo, like whatever. Um, and and it is, it's basically Monster Hunter. Um, but... It does. I do think the the Kakari building system that sort of like the little the Fortnite mode, what you're talking about, yeah. where you're you know, you can add crates and walls and springboards and stuff to your environment. And I haven't really gotten to the more complex stuff, but I'm seeing people are building like, you know, ballista and like zip lines and all kinds of really cool, cool stuff. Um, like that's really compelling. That is a really compelling way to kind of shake up the, you know, um, the very monster hunter formula of there is a big bad thing there's a story you don't care about but it's basically just that like some monsters are attacking and you need and they keep getting harder and you got to keep you know getting better equipment so that you can deal with these monsters but uh the um even just like the first crate i set up and like you run up to it and just kind of like springboard off of it yeah and, and you know close the gap between you and the monster like you know really quickly i was like oh yeah yeah, this is this is going to be a good like shake up to that formula. And I have yeah. yet to play co-op and that is like the heart and soul of a Monster Hunter game. So um, I'm I'm very, very excited to play more of it. But yeah, I mean, like I think it's a very easy recommendation if you like Monster Hunter at all. Um, I think it's also an easy recommendation if you are curious about Monster Hunter and if, like think it is a complicated game or like too complicated of a game to get into because it does seem like it's a little bit more streamlined like there's yeah weapon building doesn't seem quite as um you know sprawling and complex and um you know monster rise and and world and stuff have also really streamlined the overall monster hunter experience it's it's now not nearly as much like prep before you go out on a hunt as it used to be but it, there still is some of that in those games and there it seems like there's less of that in this right um, just structurally they're trying to streamline it but yeah i think you're totally yeah. like i think like the co-op stuff in particular when you're building together like just to have more variety and hopefully more creativity and how you're taking these folks down because even like the early on example of like okay you're fighting some big rat thing from hell and you can build a couple of crates and then just that simple move, like build the crates. And then if you jump off them, you can do a critical strike as you're jumping down. It's like, okay, that's cool. Or just, hey, build a box to block the enemy's attack as it's coming towards. It's like, okay, this is weirder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And you build yeah. that stuff really fast. If that's yeah. like not clear, like yeah. it's like, it's like pressing a button and a box appears and you leap off of it. It's all like a big one fluid movement, which is cool. 
I didn't understand why building was fun in Fortnite until this game. Which is maybe <laughs> oh, wow. a weird thing to say. Like I I always thought that that was a very, I mean, and I've never like gotten good at Fortnite or really played it much at all, but like, I've always been like, oh God, I have to like, you know, I have to think about building structures while trying to shoot. That's terrible. Right. But then in this, I'm like, oh, I see. Okay. Like it's, you're setting up like tactical things for yourself in, um, I don't know. I think it just made it click with me. Like that's always what it's been in Fortnite too. I just, it did not click with me. It just felt like this clunky complicated thing um that i'm hoping as this gets more complicated in uh in wild hearts doesn't start to feel clunky but so far so good yeah you're so lucky you're not in like the think piece game kelsey you don't work for some big site because you just you'd have to write that whole feature that whole article of wild hearts made me love Fortnite, and you know just pray for people to click through at that point yeah uh, I, what i was, what I was going far. to say um <laughs> you'd I have really to like up, the the Polygon review uh, written by uh, Diego Arguello uh, compares it actually to Death Stranding and Ooh. is talking about how, like, the cool thing is that the structures stay in the world after you're done using them once. And so, like, especially if you're playing multiplayer, like, by building these things, you're not just helping yourself now, you're helping other people in the future, which is the Strand-type game, I guess, experience. Throw it uh, on the Strand pile. We got a bu- I, dozens of them. I really I really like that description. I like that that idea. That is cool. I also heard, though, that, that, like, if you build stuff in somebody else's world, it doesn't get carried back to your world, which I guess is understandable. You know, it kind of would be a mess, but it is that thing of, like, if you're invited to somebody else's game build your heart's content but don't expect that to be pulled back into your shared world or at least from what i understood based on a, a couple youtube videos and stuff um my favorite thing about the game is uh that it opens up and when it says ea originals it's kind of like a throwback to like ea big where they have a voice go like ea originals <laughs> i was like hey look at this <laughs> way to go ea and i think it's just cool that ea is funding this thing from the developers of you know the dynasty warrior series it's it's bizarre to see omega force take a swing this hard and I Kelsey, can you please like just keep a temperature check on the Monster Hunter community for this thing? Because do you think yeah. they'll be open to it? It's like the perfect timing to release this, but I don't know if everyone's going to be like you or if Monster Hunter fans are going to be more particular and be like, eh, it's it's a wonky, weirder version of Monster Hunter. Why try it? Yeah, I am so curious. I really I haven't even like talked to my Monster Hunter friends about this yet. And um, mostly just because, you know, the embargo wasn't up until uh, two days ago. So I want to start being like, okay, who has interest in playing this with me? Right. You know, doing some co-op and stuff. But um, yeah, I am. I'm I'm excited about it. I think I came in as, you know, I think the fact that I came in as like very skeptical is a good sign that. You know, if someone who is a Monster Hunter fan is like, look, I was also like, who can do Monster Hunter other than Capcom? And then I was pleasantly surprised. I will say I'm missing dragons, though. There doesn't seem to be a lot of dragons in this game, and I'm I'm kind of sad about that. It's a lot of mammals with moss on them. But maybe that's just kind of like the early, (laughs) early content here. But it... I know this is always damning praise in a podcast, but it feels like cult classic material. Like I can see five years from now, people being like, where's our wild hearts too? That game's the only one to get it right. But it's, it's weird. Really Forspoken and wild hearts came out in the same year. That, absolutely. <laughs> oh yes. Kelsey, write that thing piece in five years. Just schedule it okay. on Polygon site or something, please. <laughs> also, like I know there have been other monster hunter clones like God Eater and, and Tokiden and stuff. And, and I have Dauntless. not gotten into any of those. Mm. And I have no idea. Like, I don't even know what the 
temperature gauge is on those with the Monster Hunter community. I know there's right. some people who have gotten into them, but like, so I, I'm, I guess my fear is that this is just going to be another like Tokiden or whatever, where it's, you know, a few people jump over and enjoy it. And otherwise it's like, no, 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 just come back when you have another Monster Hunter. We're not, yeah. we're not trying this. I mean, it, it definitely doesn't have the budget of like a Monster Hunter world. Even early on, it's like, okay, looking a little rough. Even like the snow or the sleep the in the beginning. The snow so bad. It I have no way to mention that. I, it's the worst looking snow I think I've ever seen it's weird game. there's a trend there's a trend building of like the rain in the gta remaster and i know it's kind of like sleety snow so yeah that's no where, it's that's no excuse they, i see the vision i see what they were trying to but do but then no but then this but then also like the resident evil 4 remake when game Informer released all that footage everyone's like the hell's with the rain it looks like crap it's so aggressive <laughs> like something's happening where everyone's just dialing up the rain to a, a, a hurtful degree for our eyes but Cool I was kind of shocked just like, you know, I, I don't know how game inspiration works or whatever, but like it is so Monster Hunter just like, <laughs> yes, OK, you yes. have you have the combos for your weapon displayed in like the top left corner and they look the same. And when you're hit, you do that big cartoonish arc fly backwards with like exactly the same physics as Monster Hunter. And I was like, you can just do this. You can just like <laughs> yeah. take the whole game. I know it's and they even call them hunters in the game and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a weird thing. I do think the so I I bounced off of it after like my first two hours. Um, but that was two more hours than I got into Monster Hunter. So mm. I think there's something there in that sense. Like All I, right, Wild Hearts, everybody, it's out. Yeah, I believe. By, by the way, Jacob, I asked the directors about Monster Hunter when I did that preview for Gamespot a couple months ago, uh, and they said that they didn't draw on it for strong inspiration. <laughs> so, I don't no tell way. You. I, I maybe we can go back and edit this podcast. That's our mistake for thinking they are influenced by Monster Hunter. For they said uh, when you're making played it, never when you're making a, a a hunting game, Monster What's Hunter Monster is a huge Hunter? presence in the genre. So we can't say we drew on it for strong inspiration. Was uh, there, but it's not like we didn't what? know it was there while we were making our game. That was the quote. All right, you know what? Oh my God. Honesty is tough. Um, hey, speaking of honesty in game development, everybody, uh, there is a documentary out. Uh, you've probably heard us talk about it a lot on this podcast, talk about, I probably ramble on about how much I was looking forward to it. It is the documentary about the development of Psychonauts 2 from Double Fine. Um, Two-player productions, uh, the video production crew that is now in-house at Double Fine, they chronicle the entire development of Broken Age, if you remember Double Fine Adventure. I never stopped raving about how it was the greatest work of art of all time. Um, and so I knew they were filming for Psychonauts 2, but since Psychonauts 2's development started in 2015, it's been pretty damn quiet about what is going on over there with this documentary. And then last Friday they said, here you go, it's on YouTube and it's on the internet archive, you can download it, go! Um, and it's 32 episodes. It is 22 hours of a documentary series about the full development of Psychonauts 2. They, they filmed for yeah over six years. They have over 5,000 hours of footage that they cut together. I want to set this up ahead of time very clearly. I am in the bag for this stuff. Uh, Delphine Adventure, I love so much, is to be very clear... Um, I'm in this documentary in a couple points, which uh, I did not ask for or request. Wait, you but you are? In what way? Like, uh, like clips of like the podcast. The Midmax show is, is in the documentary oh. series at a certain point. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Also, did you wait? You said you didn't know or didn't know that before you? Uh, technically, well, I'm, I'm friendly with two-player productions, so they gave me a heads up so I knew it was coming up. But also, I, I get like a special thanks in the end. So I just want to set my connection to this overall. 
But uh, it released, yeah, on Friday. I started watching it Friday night, and I finished the 22-hour documentary series by Sunday early afternoon. Like, oh my God. I could not stop. And I, it is unquestionably the greatest documentary book in development ever made. It, there's absolutely no debate left about that. Here's where I will take it into another layer, into another stratosphere. I think it's the best documentary I've ever seen about the creative process documenting the creation of something. I can't think of anything that could even compare. Like, the Beatles' Get Back was cool. All right, they were in the studio for a couple weeks. This is six years showing everything possible, everything I've always wanted to see. And it's such a weird situation with two-player productions, like as this kind of unit within a Double Fine who's its own unit now within Microsoft. But at the same time, it's like, is there any question that this is the greatest piece of games journalism of all time? Like, again, I, I what like competes? The, uh, the Danny O'Dwyer quote on Twitter who does, you know, no clip, which is also yeah. a fantastic, fantastic yep, documentary for sure. series. But he said, a mix of joy and gratitude for all the work they did to filming and edit all of this and the pain, sadness, and inadequacy knowing we could never get this deep on no clip. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. It's true. It's so it's so incredible that it makes every other like, hey, you know, there's a great piece of game journalism out there. There's an oral history on this game. It's like, okay, you have some developers kind of reflecting on something. Or here's a great video game documentary about the creation of a game. We talked to these developers for like two hours about how stressful it was to make it. Like, compare that to seeing meetings break down and like friendships fall apart and tears and laughs over six years. It blew my damn mind uh wait how many years was it been six years oh, uh, six okay yeah you hadn't, you hadn't hammered that home okay yet. who who has started watching this yet has anybody jumped in yet i haven't no. kyle what is wrong with you and your soul i'm busy with what play call of the mountain <laughs> oh my god honestly that was so sad because like i had this it's like i had a psvr2 in the box and i'm like i truly do not care about that right now because i need to watch tim schaefer make jokes for 22 yeah, hours i do straight. want to watch it for sure yeah no kyle no 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 you need no, to watch, watch it. it. Oh, you okay. need I'm taking to watch it. Wrong and and I, I want to throw out there too, before we dive even more into this thing. But like first episode, it's a lot about the development of the first Psychonauts. And like as a big Double Fine fan, it's like I've seen a lot of that footage before. You got to set it up. You got to do it. But it it dives so much more in depth than you could imagine after that first episode. But do I got to play the games I, first? That first? That first episode is still incredibly good. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Jacob, you're muted. Yeah. <laughs> But um, it, yeah, that that first episode is still incredibly good, even if you even if you haven't played the games. And um, I hadn't seen some of this footage before, and I was blown away by some of the stuff Tim had randomly filmed, like yeah. while starting his own game studio. I was just like, you you filmed and explained yourself painting the desks while you like <laughs> set up, and and the first needle you found outside of the office, and just the most like. It's the most human thing I think I've ever seen about the creative process. And that's just the first episode and it gets better oh, than that. Oh my god. Yeah. No, but that I think that's a it's a it's a great point though that founding Double Fine, you know, that Tim Schaefer and whoever else had the camera in the studio, they were interested in filming that process. And I feel like that spirit has to come from the founder of the company to make a documentary like this possible, to try and like shepherd and protect this documentary from whatever influences are out there, like it would be so easy just to make a glossy version of this. But like that impulse of 
<laughs> filming the first used needle outside of Double Fine Studio, then carries through to like, no, 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 I'm Which, actually, I'm interested. To be clear, it, because they were in a shady area, right? Not yeah. because the Double <laughs> yes. Fine Studio yes. was shooting. Yes, up. to be very clear. Um, but no, then like <laughs> that is the mentality that's like, yeah, we want to show actually what it's like, and we want to celebrate the people in this place, and that's what it takes to then end up all these years later creating this wildly ambitious documentary series that is just uncomfortably brutally honest for so much of it but yeah jacob what do you think of this thing so far so uh, yeah i'm like eight or nine episodes great into it uh i should say i did not play more than like three hours of psychonauts 2 i've always kind of been like double fine i think they're neat conceptually i kind of don't like their games or whatever so you don't need to like the games to be into this the the thing that i have i think my favorite part that i have seen so far which goes into the kind of like creative process thing is like i've never really seen writers figure out a story in this way right you know it's like like seeing seeing tim schaefer and and you know like the director of the game just talk about like how what what are the events that are going to happen in the story and what are the themes and how are those going to like go into the levels is something that you hear people talk about in retrospect but like seeing it actively happen and seeing whiteboards full of 100 post-it notes that they're like shuffling around each with like you know like uh fear question mark like written on a post-it <laughs> note and then them like trying to like slot them into something is is crazy and i i know you know i know that there are going to be kind of big things that happen after this but it's just like you're just so emotionally invested i mean like there's a part where that i've already seen where a guy leaves the studio not as a job, but just moves somewhere else. And right. he's like one of the people who's worked there for a really long oh time. And they God. just like film the meeting where he is leaving. And like you can see Tim Schafer getting choked up like as he talks about it. And oh, my God. The other thing, when they are all watching the Game Awards and Schaefer is back like backstage at the Game Awards and they're getting ready to announce Psychonauts 2 and no one knows that it's going to happen. And like everyone is freaking out in different places, yeah. like hoping that it doesn't get leaked and whatever. It's it's wild. It is truly a, an unbelievable level of coverage. And it, it is it's helped so much by Tim Schaefer and so many other folks in the studio being funny like it. It makes me laugh a lot every episode. Even like, you know, I, I uh, <laughs> politely made my wife watch the first couple episodes. I'm like, I just want you to see a little bit of what game development's like. Just check this out. And even she, like, she had no experience with these people. But like, it's funny. Tim Schafer is freaking hilarious. It, it's funny. And like, tears rolling down my face for half the episodes. Like, because there's so much turnover in the studio. And like, Oh, there's so many things that made me cry in this documentary. But every time somebody leaves and they're announcing they're leaving, I realize like this is getting to an unhealthy parasocial level when I'm bawling my eyes out and even they aren't. It's like they're in there. And that's just like, it speaks to the power of editing and the magic of editing and just the incredible storytelling abilities of two-player productions for making this a coherent documentary. 5,000 hours of footage. Here you go. Good luck. Try and make a compelling story out of this. Like, oh my God, did they nail it? It's ridiculous. Um, and that is, yeah, the wild thing about 
uh, the documentary is like, you know, talking about just designing the story, crunch craft the story. That's kind of the, the cool thing about this journey compared to Double Fine Adventure, which obviously I love that documentary as well for the creation of Broken Age. That one was so much, I feel like, more concerned. Well, not more, but it focused a lot just on like the production funding we need this money how we're going to find it what's what's going to happen here and there's definitely a a fair bit of that in this as well typically throughout this documentary it's like ah greg rice is on the team he's trying to court publishers and they're talking about like yeah we pitched psychonauts 2 to 30 publishers warner brothers passed on it and aparna passed on it like they're just saying all these things are happening but pretty early on starbreeze comes in as a publisher and believe it or not that has some drama to it eventually. But early on, they're like, okay, we got millions from Starbreeze, we're set. And then the Microsoft acquisition makes them set there, which by the way, seeing inside that acquisition is like unbelievable. You get to see so much stuff you never could have imagined you get to see from this point of view. But like the fact that the money aspect is largely not a concern for the back two thirds of the documentary, it just makes them even more able to dive into the design, into the individuals. um, Because that is... It is so bizarre to watch a chronicle of game development, and by the end of it, I understand this is not 100% reality. Editing is magical. I understand that. But still, it's like, I feel like I understand the strengths and weaknesses of most of the people on this development team and how they work, their work ethic, uh, how they interact with people, how that can go south. And the wild thing is like, you see like a meeting that's uncomfortable and somebody kind of makes a snide comment. And like you see people kind of like rub the wrong way from something. And then you see what happens four years after that snide comment and how things can build. Like in what other documentary do you get to see like this level build up? And that's the amazing thing of not trickling it out like they did for the Double Fun Adventure documentary, but actually dropping this all at once. They're able to like tease things and foreshadow things. Like there are multiple times early on in this documentary where literally at some point somebody on the team just says like, you know, we need to get this game done we don't have five years it's not like we have a blank check from microsoft we need to make this happen it's like they just there's so many weird things that they say that they can tease because they know eventually where it's going um it is unbelievable to 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 add on to your superlatives about like what this is best at just the the depiction of office dynamics yes is is so you know of just being like it is just a workplace and like you know i've worked in an office some and just these discussions of like you know when they're when they're making rhombus of ruin the the vr game and they're talking about it and they're like we need to finish this because they're starting psychonauts 2 and they're just gonna start like taking people from us like we need to we need to do this because we won't have the human resources and it's just like i have never been anywhere close to making a video game but i have just like worked in an office with a small number of people and kind of seeing the politics of like they are taking people off this project and the project isn't finished and like what does that mean for us and, and it's yeah. so fascinating it is fascinating and normally in a documentary about game development you'd be lucky if you heard like yeah it's kind of stressful you know we're ramping up the other project and they wanted to move talent over but this you get to see the actual meetings where you get to see people a little pissy and even more than a little pissy about like okay they are banging down the door and taking these gameplay programmers and it's not fair and they want us to go over there but we need to finish this game and i know that that's tim's project but we need to focus on this i mean just the focus on rhombus of ruin for psvr it's like that alone is like one of the greatest game documentaries of all time that's just the starting point and also i mean that i think also shows just how amazing it is um how it feels like there's no corporate fingerprints on this documentary in any way the fact that they can release a documentary at the launch of the psvr 2 and 
a bulk of this documentary that technically, who the hell knows, but kind of sort of is owned by Microsoft is about hyping up the PSVR 1. It's just, it's so bizarre. And you can just, you can feel the honesty in so many places throughout this documentary, but just the fact that like, there's barely anything blurred out. There's a couple screens of like Microsoft presentations later where there's a couple things blurred out, but by and large, like you can look at like what Double Fine's Slack messages were. You can see them sharing Trump memes back in 2015. You know, it's just, it is a bizarrely honest take and kind of the, the core fascinating part about the documentary is it's like, hey, you know, people have their criticisms about Double Fine and Double Fine's development and, you know, especially looking at like uh, Broken Age's development. And so, Kyle, you watched Double Fine Adventure, right? Not all of it, no. Which what I, you're the upset hell with me about. are you doing with your life? I was probably reviewing some PSVR 1 game. Great. I, I'm sure that reviews aged well. Go read it, everybody. Um, sorry, that's me. No. So mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, these things are yeah, eternal. Go watch uh, some of Ben's old uh, videos. No, no, don't. Don't watch my old videos. <laughs> just watch this if you want to know what game development's like, everybody. No, but the, the point that I was trying to get to is like, you know, that idea of like, okay, Tim Schafer is trying to solve the problem of like, his projects take a long time creatively. It's like, he always wants to keep throwing more ideas in. So kind of the central theme of this documentary, Psychonauts 2 developments as well, is like, what if it's basically Tim Schafer, like, what if I hired my own boss? What if I hired a very experienced designer uh, named Zach to come in and be the design director for Psychonauts 2 and kind of like have a little bit more of a militant vibe. And then basically the documentary is what that does to a studio like Double Fine when you have somebody who's a little more interested in cracking the whip, making calls, keeping things moving, and it just, it, it does not go well, everybody. That's a spoiler documentary. It is not a smooth development, and it is just unbelievable stuff that they included in here. Okay, the point is, um, it's uh, free on YouTube as well, everybody. It's called Psych Odyssey. You can just go to Double Fine, uh, it's Double Fine Prod on YouTube. You can go to their official channel, and Psych Odyssey is where you can get that, or you can download it off Internet Archive yeah, if you want. Check it out then, yeah. If you want, I don't know. There's there's reviews to write too. Um, yeah, I, I. Anyway, what do you think will be the number two greatest work of art of all time for 2023? <laughs> the best HBO episode three. Okay. Yeah, cool. that'll be number one and two. We figured it out. Lock it in, everybody. That's what's in my diary. So okay. Uh, yeah. The year is accordingly. Well, I'm going to seal that envelope right now. We just open it for the two tens. But uh, please, it is it is the highest recommendation for any media I can possibly give. Is like Odyssey. It is. Oh my god, it's so good. Uh, let's see. Hey, Janet, do you know how this whole thing operates? Um, really meticulously planned out documentaries. That's right, by and large. And you can find those kind of at patreon.com slash minmax with two N's, everybody. Help support independent games and media. Go there. Unlock a benefit that works for you. Help us out at the same time. We'd greatly appreciate it. Hey, thanks to some of our biggest supporters, like stamps.com, everybody. We've officially... Our squirtle of a podcast has become War Tortle because now we are <laughs> promoting Stamps.com on the podcast. Finally, here's the thing: I love Stamps.com. This is this is this is an honest to god truth. Uh, this has truth to it. But when we were talking about Stamps potentially as a sponsor, I brought it up in a meeting, and Kelsey and Janet were like, "Oh yeah, Stamps.com is like the best." And in my mind, it was always just like it's just like the podcast joke. But you all actually use Stamps.com? Yeah, well, like I constantly. Use- yeah, and I'm like, I look, I actively look for how to get my stamps. So like, that's why I was like, I popped for stamps.com because I'm like, yeah. Oh, like, you, okay. You actually use it like for stamps. What do you use it for? <laughs> Chipping. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, this does like, sound. This is not scripted. This is just two people talking. Trying <laughs> to understand like, stamps. There's there's more than just stamps. There's yeah, more. You can do so much more. Tell me, man. Yeah, because I think I was I was talking about shipping the extra life like uh, auction winners and stuff, and what a nightmare that was. And I think Kelsey, at some point, you're like, oh, what are you doing? You just went to like a UPS store. Are you out of your mind for shipping all that stuff that yeah. cost thousands? No one should go to the post office anymore. Like to to do the work that you can do it all online and uh yeah i i use stamps.com and i've been using it for a really long time so what okay i'm not making you read from ad copy but genuinely like for <laughs> pink gorilla your game store like how is it helpful what, what do you use it for um i mean there's some stuff that's like in a, so you know we have a, a website that's like has its own integrated thing but for anything that i have to ship one off like you know a. a like someone wants to buy something from me over the internet, like I'm selling a bunch of power supplies or something to another game store owner that sure. needs them. It's just, yeah, like it's a very simple type in the address, weigh it and, and ship it and print your uh, own shipping label. And then you can just, I don't, I don't think people know this. You can just like print shipping labels and then walk up to the post office and just like, you don't have to stand in line. You just put it in the little collection thing. And that's for big packages too. You could just like put it up on the counter. You don't have to stand in line. That's cool. No one should ever be standing in line at post offices. Somebody's heard of stamps.com advertisement. Yeah, uh, they say it's a one-stop shop for your shipping and mailing needs. For 25 years, stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Get access to USPS and UPS shipping services. You need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And if you sell products online, stamps.com seamlessly connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart. So you can set your business up for success when you get started with stamps.com today you can sign up with promo code minmax there are two ends of minmax if you didn't know for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts just go to stamps.com click the microphone at the top of the page and enter the promo code minmax there is a link in the description for everybody if you want to jump in and check it out also thank you to our dear friends at i8bit they want everybody to know about a monster's expedition plus earlier adventures they have the switch cartridge which is an i8bit exclusive edition and then also the vinyl soundtrack but kyle you like puzzle games do you not I do. Well, then, I like them. then riddle me this, Batman. How would you like four games in one with a Monsters Expedition, Cosmic Express, A Good Snowman is Hard to Build, and Sokobond? Kyle, they say it's over 100 hours of unique, no filler puzzles on this thing, and it comes with an exclusive 18 inch by 24 poster of the full world map from a Monsters Expedition. And this is still a riddle you want me to answer. You can only answer it by going to iam8bit.com. Check out their online store because they support us in a big bad way. So please help support them. They have a ton of great stuff there. And you can use the promo code SWEETHEARTS for 10% off of everything under $100 at iam8bit's wonderful online store. Uh, please help support them. There's promo codes for stamps.com and iam8bit in the description below if you're interested. And uh, iam8bit is so generous, you'll never believe how generous they are. They're so generous, they're shipping out a prize to the MinMax community. Whoever has the best question submitted over there on Patreon, we're going to ship them out. What is it this week? Oh, it's iam8bit's exclusive edition of Stray on PlayStation 5, which comes with like cool art and a bunch of other stuff. So uh, that person will win this. We need to make sure this is a very worthy winner. Um, you ready for questions, Janet? Yeah. Great. Do you know how this whole thing operates, Janet? I don't know why you're doing this here. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Nick from Atlanta <laughs> writes in and says, Hello, Hanson and everybody. Uh, if I've got my information correct, both 
Of the K's, Kyle and Kelsey are now published book authors, while neither the J's, Janet and Jacob, nor Hanson are. Slackers! K's, please accept your crown. Um, but they ask, if you were to write a book or a second one, what would the topic be? Writing Andy McNamara's biography, Ben, since he won't do it himself? <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah, if Andy McNamara ever releases an autobiography, just assume that it was ghostwritten by me, I think would be the safe way to go. Um, okay, we should unpack this a little bit because it's confusing. Um, Kelsey wrote a damn book. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a published author yet, I don't think. Could it, when when does it count as being published? Like when it goes to print, right? And you're holding it in your hand, I guess. If you want to Is yeah. that it? Okay. I'm not holding it yet. Okay. In fact, it's not even print ready yet. It should be, you know, it, it should be in people's hands by the end of this year, but uh it's not like fully fully ready to go there's it's more well, kelsey is downplaying this a lot lot <laughs> yeah. expert in yeah, animal crossing book. was born for this role and apparently wrote like a freaking fire book that what is it frank had tweeted out like oh i've looked over the drafts and this thing is fire and like yeah this is kelsey being humble way more humble than she, she needs to be, stop it this is gonna yeah, be uh, like an absolute certified <laughs> classic like are you joking <laughs> get uh, yeah, move frank aside good night moon. Other, uh, uh vghf guy has been kind of my my other editor as I've been doing this. So he's read a couple of drafts of this as I've gone through it, but I've been, so it's been in the works for a while. It's the boss fight book. Um, if, if people have not heard of boss fight books, it's a cool little series of, I think there's like almost 30 of them now. Um, and they are all written by different authors, just about one singular game. And right. depending on the author, you know, it, people take different approaches to it, but tends to be like some history, some analysis, some like personal stuff in there. And uh, yeah, mine's about Animal Crossing, the original one, which, um, you know, they put a GameCube controller on the cover of the book. Uh, Animal Crossing is originally a Nintendo 64 game in Japan. This book, and, and I say this in the book, but it is about Dobots no Mori, the N64 game, Dobots no Mori Plus, the first version of the GameCube one in Japan, um, Dobots no Mori E Plus, the second GameCube version of this game in Japan, oh, yeah. and Animal Crossing as we know it here. They're all the same game, just with like tweaks. So uh, it's a little bit of a confusing one. That's amazing. I remember when we did the deepest dive on Animal Crossing New Horizons, you were talking about the origins of Animal Crossing, and you said there was some connection to like Diablo. Am I misremembering this? Yeah, yeah. Katsuyaguchi was a, who's um, one of the two co-creators of Animal Crossing. He was a a big Diablo fan, and uh, when he was kind of conceptualizing Animal Crossing, you know, it didn't start out looking anything like what it, you know, what it ended up being. He basically just wanted a game where, um, you know, there was a lot of communication, and people could play at different times and kind of affect the same environment. And he got this inspiration from, like, you know, when when you drop your loot in Diablo and you got to go back for it and like ask your friends and like, can you help me get back through this and, and, and pick up my loot in Diablo? He just loved that like interaction so much. He was like, how do I replicate something like that and make it just a really like communication oriented game? And um, yeah, the, the original, not to get like too, too history in here, but um, you know, this was originally just kind of a concept they were, working on for the Nintendo 64 disk drive, the uh, failed peripheral that did not make it out of Japan. And uh, 
So they, you know, it, it started out as like essentially a dungeon crawler and was just going to have a lot of communication elements and stuff to it. And then the, the disk drive was not doing so hot and they totally overhauled the entire thing. But um, and, you know, it became it became what we know of as Animal Crossing today. Yeah. And so Chandler wrote in also saying, hey, which, where's the best place to buy this book? How does this work? Yeah, so it's on um, Kickstarter right now. Boss Fight Books is doing a, a Kickstarter for not just my book, but there's going to be four books in this like season. Okay. Um, but it's going to be available everywhere once it's launched. I mean, you can get there'll be e-publications you can buy on you know Amazon, Barnes and Noble, whatever. Um, there will be uh, physical copies available. Oh, also, all this is on the Boss Fight Books website. And then my store is going to be selling them too. Oh, of course. Um, if you want to, if you want to do like the, um, I, I have no way of selling eBooks, but you know, if you want to support Pink Gorilla, we will be selling copies of the book and probably other other boss fight books. We already sell them in the store. Yeah, I think I bought one there. Like when I first visited your store, I think I bought like the one on Noah's Ark, I think, if I remember correctly. Oh, the, the, um, the Bible. Yeah. The Bible, Bible adventures. No, Jacob, sorry. I was thinking of the Bible. I bought a Bible at your store. Remember? You yeah, bought no, the, the, yes, the Bible Genesis. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Bible adventures book. But that's that's a super. Is that smart a good idea. entry point, or like where should I? It's it's good. It's pretty good. It's no Psych Odyssey, but it's pretty good. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, congratulations, Kelsey. Um, is there Thank like a you. timeline for when people will get it then, if they um, get it or order am, on Kickstarter? My guess is like kind of late 2023 is when it will be physically printed and in people's hands but i don't have because it's not literally print ready yet i don't have like a uh an exact date on that yet but i will sure. let people know as soon as i do know that that's awesome was it hey kelsey was it hard was it harder than you thought to write a whole book about animal crossing or what was that like oh my god it took me so long yeah i started i just to be clear because i've seen a lot of people be like how does she do it she worked so much and i'm like no, guys, I started this book before Animal Crossing New Horizons was announced. So oh, my God. <laughs> I, need to, I need to be clear. This has been a very long time coming. I have not obviously been actively working on it every single day since then, but um, I started it shortly before um, that E3 where it was announced and uh, have been working on it off and on since then. And, yeah, it is a... Um, the amount of research that went into this, I I hope will be appreciated. I think um, this is probably not going to shock people, but uh, Nintendo's not exactly a double fine. They don't really yeah. let people talk to anyone. I had several, like, I got really close, and then at the end they shut the door in my face kind of things with, like, mm. some of the people who actually worked on this game. I had to mostly rely on people who are no longer at Nintendo um, right. for the you know for original interviews i mean i i cribbed from tons and tons of interviews that have already been done and um had some uh translated that only ever came out in japan um but uh but because of that i think because i had to um i, I had to get a little creative with it to get some really interesting information and i think that makes it a better book so there's some um there's some cool interviews with people that I think I might not have otherwise thought to interview if I had just had like full access to, you know, the, the Japanese team that worked on this game. Right. So there's, um, you know, a lot of localization stuff. There's a lot of, um, kind of like, uh, animal crossing community members and people who 
have picked apart the game from a technical perspective, like way later in, uh, you know, that there's some, like the person who um, figured out, who cracked the code on how those little item codes work in that first game. If anyone remembers, you could do those super long strings of of, uh, text to like, you know, send your friend to bed or whatever. Um, (laughs) The the guy who like cracked that code. Um, Yeah, so I think there's some cool stuff in there and I think it's going to be, I hope people enjoy it. I hope it lives up to expectations. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. Uh, and Kyle wrote a book about Zelda, um, the unofficial guide to everything you need to know about that's Zelda. Um, but yeah, does anybody else want to write a book about anything? Yeah, I really want to do um, a video game dictionary. Uh, hmm. It's like of just all the different terms like related to, more so related to like how we talk about games uh, rather than like the deep intricacies of like development lingo, but things like, you know, what is a Metroidvania? What is a roguelite versus hmm. like stuff like that and just kind of making it cater towards the sort of questions and conversations that come up around those topics. What so is like, a remake? What's a remaster? Yeah, it'd be modeled after a dictionary, <laughs> but I think it definitely would include um, a bit more of like the historical context because like I think even like, you know, just when you discuss like open world, what was, you know, Game Informer calling open world back in 2002? It's probably right. what they call it now. How did that trajectory change? Yeah, and, that's like, cool. What's kind of the modern thing? So that would be what I'd want to do. Uh, that that and like really hard and awesome. I know that's why I haven't done it. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, so yeah. hard. I'm like this sounds like ridiculous. I did like one. I started it a little bit when I was at IGN, like within like a, one of our wiki pages during like some dead time, where I'm like, this is my a dream I've had since lunch. But I've genuinely thought about it for a really long time. I just haven't made a lot of progress. Um, but other than that, like kind of in a slightly easier thing to execute would be not so much a book, but like a journal like a, that people could write in. So kind of like a like journal centered around like gaming, like as a hobby. So, you know, it'd have like specific layouts and pages for, you know, documenting what you're playing, maybe like putting little reviews, writing like guide, kind of like a compendium kind of thing for people, you know, maybe have pages for directs or like events that hmm. happen. We could jot down stuff like that. Like yeah. I'd journal I journal that. thing. That'd be cool. Yeah, I was thinking about it's like, oh, would I ever want to write a book about, it's so blowhardy, but like uh, visiting a bunch of studios through the 2010s, you know? Um, but it's like, I don't like writing. Why would, it's like, if I ever did that, I would like do it as a podcast or something that's actually like enjoyable, hopefully. Um, and then I was thinking like, <laughs> I, I was thinking like, oh, is it, would it be interesting? It'd be so cheap and lazy on my part, but like I have notes about every game I've played since like 2012 <laughs> would like it feels so lazy to be like i don't know here's a book and it's just here's every note i took while playing phantom pain while playing all these other games like here's all my podcast notes and stuff like that like it feels so lazy but it's like would people be interested in that i always have to like reframe it of like would i want to buy vinnie caravella's version of that book and the answer is like not really <laughs> then i'm like okay then i probably shouldn't do it on this end i mean david sedaris has done that basically you okay. Know, so. All right. Hey, yeah, thanks. all you have this to is do is be the most beloved uh, American nonfiction writer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, my relationship with my dad Someone is too good for that. Someone would definitely buy that, though. And I think, like, I don't know. For me, there's definitely the practicality of getting something I make out there, but also, like, I don't ever really make anything with the thought of how much people will want to consume it or be interested in it. It's like if I have a passion for it, someone yeah. else will probably appreciate that passion. And like, sure. even if it's just, hey, it's up there digital for like, pay what you want. Or something, right, you know. Right. Um, also, it doesn't have to be a book. Yeah. Like, 
That would just be a cool thing to put out there on a on a web page somewhere. Yeah, but you know? Kelsey, so you can get paid for a book. Yeah, Kelsey, you need that fat cash I somehow. Mean, uh, I mean, how does this? Well, <laughs> Kelsey knows better than us. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, you raking in the millions from your book? No. <laughs> There's gonna be a Tears <laughs> of the Kingdom bump. There's gonna be a Tears of the Kingdom bump on these ventures. All right, Jacob, you seen Bookie? Well, it's it's an interesting question because I do consider myself a writer, but it's like, well, I like writing essays. And so if I wrote a book, it would probably be a book of essays. And it's yeah. like, well, I got about 14 of those in me a year. And so and that's currently how I make my living. And so right, like writing right. a book would be like, I'm going to take a year off from doing what I'm currently doing to write a book that will almost certainly not make as much money as like so i don't know it's it's hard you know maybe maybe when youtube goes down i'll do it i do sometimes wonder i mean you i don't think you'd be able to convert your scripts like just one to one into a book but like you probably could take a lot of your essays and just kind of rework them for a print medium Phone i've, I've thought in. about that uh yeah and i i you know you could do I feel like it's the question of like, am I making this for fans of Jacob Geller, you know, trademark, or would it be like a book <laughs> that people would like buy if they like saw on a shelf? Because I think if I right. self-published, I could sell like 200 copies of like a collection of my written essays that people would just have fun owning. Mm -hmm. But like, that's not, you know, I, you know, theoretically I would write like, oh, here's a book of essays on like team eco games or whatever. Like that's, you know, that's what I would like to do. And it's just like it, it currently my career doesn't allow for like not immediately turning those into content. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Kennedy writes in and says, Hey man, Max, I'm out in SoCal visiting here and I can't possibly get enough Mexican food. I've been eating it at least once per day. I can't get anything like it in the Northeast. And I feel so deprived all year round. What cultural cuisine do you have limited access to in your area that you go ham over when traveling? Ham, mainly. Uh, no. I mean, mine's the same answer. Seattle is fantastic for um, seafood, for Asian food, for sushi especially. We have no Mexican food. Um, not literally huh. none, but like the, the selection is... Um, you know, I moved here 10 years ago from Texas, so... Ooh, you can't. It's uh, It's been rough. Yeah, that's a tough transition. Is it like... I mean, there has to be... Maybe I'm just not enough of a food snob, but it's like... I mean, you can get decent Mexican. You can't just get like, oh, this feels like authentic, amazing Mexican food. Yeah, you can, you can get Mexican food, but like... So the thing about sushi in Seattle is like it kind of doesn't matter where you go. It's always fantastic because mm. it's just so fresh. Right. Um... You absolutely have to like look at reviews when you go to a Mexican place here. Yeah. Like you have to actually try and um and Texas is kind of the same way as sushi is here, where it's like, eh, no matter where you go, it's gonna be pretty good Mexican food or, or Tex Mex. Right. Uh yeah, mine it's a little bit for California because uh LA has it now, but going to Japan, I know it's not the most high-end thing. It's basically like a freaking Chipotle, but curry house, Coco Ichibanya. Um, curry house is my favorite. It's it, going to Japan. It's like, yeah, just go get some Japanese curry, get a big beer. You can even Americanize it and be gross. And just have a bunch of cheese over your chicken curry. Uh, the best and genuinely like, <laughs> don't tell anybody this. 
anybody else in my house, but like one of the highlights of going to Hawaii was like, I literally got to Hawaii and then realized like, oh, there, this place is much more Japanese than I realized. Like there's like, you know, katakana and signs and stuff. Then I was like, wait a minute, do they have curry houses here? Mind blown. Like I can go to a curry house in Hawaii. I, then I wanted to go for every meal. and But even then it's like going to like a food court and getting Japanese curry. It's not quite the Japanese curry experience I was hoping for, yeah. but still that that's mine is Japanese curry. I, it just does not exist in the cities that I've found at least. Well, I, I always like to joke, not, not like half joke, right? Like I, I grew up in South Carolina. I do not live there anymore. I have friends and family there that I miss, but outside of those things, the only thing I truly miss in South Carolina is Zaxby's, mm. which is a chicken restaurant. <laughs> There's like really nothing else I miss about that state. <laughs> this place is so funny because it's like as someone who currently lives in the South, I have a lot of regional like food yeah. places that I'm like, I would miss that. Zaxby's not on the list. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <It's> like, separate <laughs> yourself from it for almost a decade and get yeah. back to me. I've separated myself from it for multiple decades at this point. <laughs> Did you just like it, Kyle? Because you can spell it out on a Nintendo controller. What? Yes, thank you. Oh, oh my God. No missed jokes. Thank you. No missed jokes. That's the motto of this podcast, even if they're Uh, barely jokes. Yeah, I never considered that. You you must be right. Uh, No, no, no. Please, way above that. Um, The apostrophe button is my favorite button. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I recently uh, visited South Korea. It was great. Um, I I like uh, boozes that are not really widely available in yeah. america there is this this cloudy rice wine called makoli uh which you can get at like h mart but is not generally you know it's like you can kind of get soju places and like sake but you can't really find makoli in a lot of places and it rules and i totally wish that i could just roll up to an abc store and buy it yeah and janet you're just you have everything in la you're set yeah yeah you're pretty good i, you're good. I mean i'm sure there's plenty of things that there's better of like you know the hot chicken in nashville is yeah probably gonna yep. hit higher highs than like the hot chicken here but i've eaten hot chicken in both and i'm i'm good like yeah. i don't really have much desire but i think when, when i travel more i'll find something that i don't have here yeah uh jared meyer writes and says hey crew 2023 is shaping up to be the year of the shadow drop between hi-fi rush metro primary master the double fine dock i can't think i can't help but to think there might be more in store Obviously, it's impossible to predict what a Shadow Drop might be, but we could potentially guess who is primed for one. So are there any studios who have been quiet long enough with no announced projects that could be poised to grace us with another potential out-of-nowhere banger of a game? Great question. Hollow Knight Silk Song just releases Ooh. just mm. tomorrow. Okay. I, I don't think that'll happen, but... I don't know. I think it might. Like, yeah. it's just like an Xbox tomorrow, surprise at this but... point or something? <laughs> Yeah, the unannounced thing is kind of the interesting wrinkle. It's like the one I think of is the MMO from the studio called Bonfire, like Rob Pardo, who left um, Blizzard a long time ago. They've been working on this new thing for a long time. And I feel like that type of like live service game, kind of an Apex Legends model might be an interesting shadow drop case. of like, eh, I don't want to have to field questions about my experience at Blizzard back in the day. Like, here you go. Here's this game. Let's just move on. I can see that being one. Is that that Braid re- remake? Oh my god, yeah. That seems like one that'll just suddenly... I would love for Jonathan Blow to not be in the news feed (laughs) at all, so if they could just shadow drop that, we wouldn't have to talk about it. Similar reason to what Ben was just saying. Yeah, Yeah. You want to learn about him 
drinking piss or whatever. What was it? Was, what drinking was piss, but not taking vaccines. That's oh, the is that right? No, no. Well, that guy sucks. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Braid's a good game, though. Hey, Braid's a good game. Uh, yeah, the shadow, but it has to be unannounced, right? Like, it can't be just something that they've talked about before and then surprise it's out. I like just that this thing exists I mean, and I, now it's out. I think the only thing that would, to the question's point, like, be a shadow drop, hasn't been announced, but is successful, would be something that's like a remake or a port kind of thing. Like, you know, Wind Waker yeah. HD. Yeah. Because other, oh, yeah. And I think that's what's so unique about Hi-Fi Rush. Not that, like, plenty of other indie games have shadow dropped, like, especially, like, Nintendo Directs, like, have had plenty of indie shadow drops. But I think a lot of those games just haven't, you know, hit those kind of highs, like, in part because you have to buy them and people aren't going to necessarily run and you know, pick up something if they just think it looks kind of okay. Like Hi-Fi Rush was such a unique moment of looks cool as hell. If you have Game Pass, you can play it right now. You don't I have to spend think... money to take a chance on it. Exactly, right. and it and it genuinely looked very, very cool. Like it's hard for me to think of a game that had a drop like that that looked as good as Hi-Fi Rush did. Yeah. Um, because everything else, I can like I imagine just you know you're gonna want to do the marketing lead up to it you know bend isn't gonna shadow drop its next game they're probably gonna want to market in the lead up to like create more of that conversation so i feel like it would have to be like a port yeah i also think that hi-fi rush is kind of an underserved genre where like for me hearing like rhythm game and stylish action game it's like i don't get a ton of those you know <laughs> right. so like that's that's enough um even even separate let alone together but it's like you know you shadow drop a farming game it's like well what makes this one different than the 12 farming That's games a great i know point. we're coming out later this month yep absolutely uh dustin davis writes and says hello pod people hello we exist in pods um is there anything that you're surprised still looks the same after decades like garbage trucks or fire hydrants <laughs> what needs a visual overhaul yeah those fire hydrants p youth straight out of 1920s <laughs> i have um, always our thought roads Okay. Oh, our, our roads should have uh, they should have train tracks on them, and then trains run on them. Oh, it here we a, go. A visual overhaul in that sense. <laughs> and then we all get little individual trains, or we just have like the push carts from our brother Art Thou. What do yeah, you we all have individual trains, and they clog up the highways, and you run into each other all the time. <laughs> and they're all underground fun. for some reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. This sounds great. Sounds good. <laughs> um. I've always thought that, like, I mean, cars do change year after year, but I've always been, like, I don't know if frustrated is the right word, but, like, cars are really boring. Yes. Like, unless you want to buy a freaking supercar or whatever, but, like, why don't they come in more colors? Why don't people, like, customize their cars more? Like, we huh. do so much aesthetically with ourselves to like communicate who we are to the world like we change our hair color we wear certain clothes and like a car is this thing you spend a ton of time in and like you take everywhere and right. i just have always been so struck by like how boring they are compared to human beings and yeah that's a great point i never really thought of that i mean i guess like the customization stuff is popular for like i don't know street racers or like it feels like a Whenever I see like a custom paint job on a car, it stands out as like, wow, oh, what's with this weirdo? But like, we should be doing that oh, for totally every car. That. Like, I don't know. Like, I've seen people. It's like, oh, there's there's a lot of a certain kind of anime on this person's car that maybe yeah. isn't the most family friendly appropriate for our show. But yeah, I've seen cars like that where I'm like, oh yeah, this person is a really specific kind of person, and right. I know because I've looked at their car. 
But that's that's why it's so weird to me is like if you if you take the time to customize your car a lot, like that communicates something else that I don't think like it communicates that you are like very loud and out there. And I don't think that, you know, dyeing your hair purple communicates anywhere near the amount of like, you know, I don't know loudness yeah i see what having you mean a like, absolutely. i don't immediately Everyone dislike you yes on all right. of their cars like why is not every car covered in some type of big decos like i want decal. i want every car to look like one of those downloadable forza skins that like the community made where it's just you know like yes goku suplexing a train or the whatever the highway would be like traffic would be so much better if we were just looking around yeah. and like getting a sense of all of our fellow human beings you know like <laughs> You really bring the world together. No, I think you're right. My, my answer was going to be boring. I'm just like, I remember as a kid thinking like, oh, man, I can't wait to see what school buses of the future look like. Because the one I'm sitting in right now looks like it was designed in 1953. And I feel like every school bus is still like a design from 1953. Of like, You think surely they'll have seatbelts at some point. Right. Or just, oh my God. just comfortable-ish seats, not just like, I don't know, leather on plywood or whatever the hell is going on with those seatbelt seats. Or the seats in the school buses? Uh, let's see. Dr. Clayman writes in and says, Hello, minis and maxis. Uh, that's us. Um, Watching the latest Last of Us series got me thinking about the upcoming God of War adaptation on Amazon. And one question popped to mind. I can't believe I didn't think about this. See if anybody can figure out where this is going. Uh, Jacob, what do you think the one question this person has about the adaptation? Oh, would oh be? I, I do know, I think. Oh, yeah? Is it is about the cinematography? How so? Is it going to be a oneer? Is it going to be a oneer? That's what mm-hmm. Doctor Clayman's asking. Is it going to be one continuous single shot? Are they going to be trying to try and make it look like that? And no, they won't I, do it. I hope not. <laughs> I also hope not. You at least you know they're having the discussion. I mean, it, they'll have. I bet they'll have. You know, like they'll do the kind of daredevil fight. You know, like yes. they'll have. They'll yep. have a big action sequence that's a oneer, and they'll say, "Hey, we can do it," but. You would not want to watch a show that looked like this for 12 hours. Yeah, it'll open, yeah, with the scene of, like, Kratos going to the Norse restaurant, to the comedy club. Yeah, it'll be exactly like Goodfellas. Just to, like, let them know that they can do it, but then they'll get away from it. Um, Spencer writes in and says, With the last few interviews, I've noticed more and more websites picking up MinMax as a source for their short regurgitant... Is that a word? Regurgitant articles. Wow. Uh, Miss Dictionary, is regurgitant a word? Oh, um... Probably not. Okay. Uh, with Regurgi- the recent, you think it it, it, it it communicates the condescension I get it. I get with it. which we view those articles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with the recent God of War Ragnarok interview from Minmax being picked up the most, a coworker in India even shared your tweet linking the video to our gaming Slack channel today. Uh, I know this is self-serving, but what are your thoughts on where Minmax is as an outlet and what its presence in the space is like now? Um, thank you for asking, Spencer. I I want to be clear. I'm not complaining. Um, about this because I have the best job in the world. I genuinely don't think I'd trade my job for any other job on planet Earth, which is a bit of a privilege. I'm aware of that. But I am just fascinated by like the news cycle in the game industry and, you know, other gaming sites and stuff. Like, so yeah, we had an interview that just went up and it's with uh, the story leads for God of War Ragnarok and they told a lot of development stories they hadn't shared before about, you know, originally Thor was going to kill Kratos in the first fight and then it was going to time jump 20 years in the future and Atreus was going to have to rescue him from hell. And like, there's a lot of just like cool, weird stuff that they can talk about now because the game's out. Um, and it sounds like bragging. I, I, I'm trying to water this down as much as I can, but like literally every gaming site picked up news stories from that and a lot of them embedded that interview as well. I mean, so IGN like tweeted out 
a factoid from the interview and then they put like via minmax and tiny text in the image and stuff um and then they and then a lot of people were messaging them like oh you got a link to minmax blah, blah, blah. and then they tweeted it out again and tweeted out like another story from the interview but then literally it was amazingly generous they just tweeted a link the only link in that tweet was to the actual minmax interview on our channel and like ign has like 10 million twitter followers it's like jesus that is so kind of them all of that all of that and the interview has 7500 views at this point which is like that's just fascinating like it it goes to prove how important patreon is for supporting an independent outlet like ours because like every you do an interview and the best case scenario happens where every gaming site writes about it or embeds it and i am not exaggerating right now from that interview thanks to youtube we have made seven dollars and fifty cents <laughs> it's like it, how are you supposed to exist if it wasn't for a lovely community on patreon supporting us it's just mind-boggling i don't know okay that's just me rambling a little bit i'm just i'm just fascinated by it i'm not trying to be pissy it's just like it's such a weird cycle but it's, it's it, it is, you know the specifics yeah yeah and and it's you know it's like it goes to show something that i have found out through you know my job is like you know people will be like oh i saw that was like really big on twitter so that was like big for you right and it's like nothing the <laughs> only thing that drives youtube traffic is the algorithm yes you know like yep. no, everything else pales in comparison it could be number one on on reddit r slash games which has you know 15 million followers and that would net it like 10,000 views yep you know it's just like people don't click <laughs> there's yeah. there's an onion article that's uh uh, that's like uh, news alert. We don't make any money unless you click the effing link. <laughs> <laughs> there are, there are some sites. It. It's very funny. There are some sites like the Onion. Uh, Reductress is another one that I like, where it's like the the joke is in the tweet, right? Like I get right. everything I need from the tweet, but I do make an effort to click it, even if I'm not reading the. Oh, that's article. really nice. Because <laughs> I'm like, look, I gotta give you something for making me laugh. You know, that's a really smart idea. Yeah, everybody should do that more. Uh, and also, it's just a reminder, like, if you see a headline or in a news story, like, find the source, go check out the original source. There's usually a lot more good information in whatever that article was than just the one key takeaway, you know? Um, Michael Berry says, I have a question for Kelsey. Um, what was the first 3D map in games? No. Uh, recently, <laughs> I, recently, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole that consisted of early arcade cabinets. In doing so, I stumbled upon some of Sega's earliest cabinets, which were electromechanical machines. My favorite cabinets were Sega Gunfight, a two-player Western standoff game that used controllable cowboy action figures, and Sega Jumbo, where you control a toy elephant that throws a metal ball at a trapeze artist in a circus. I find these machines to be fascinating, yet I never heard of those being celebrated or highlighted in any meaningful way. I was wondering what the archival process is for these novel and unique cabinets. Also, are there any museums that highlight electromechanical arcade cabinets? Thank you for what you do preserving video game history. Yeah, this, um, there is a lot of incredibly fascinating electromechanical history that kind of, uh, you know, a lot of the companies we know and love today kind of got their start there. I mean, Sega was selling jukeboxes and like cigarette machines and stuff right. even before that stuff. So, um, or what became Sega, I guess is more accurate, but, uh, as you can probably imagine, 
those things are an absolute nightmare to upkeep. I mean, right. these are things that are on like, you know, film reels and have, you know, these moving parts and like projection. It's, it's magic tricks. Like it is electronic um, and mechanical magic tricks. And um, so it, as far as I know, there's not like any really amazing place that uh, has, you know, just like the full spread of them because they they break down and they a lot of them were scrapped a really long time ago. Um, that being said, the Strong Museum of Play in yeah. Rochester is probably the best source for, um, at least in the U.S., of like, I mean, they, they have a collection of that stuff. Um, there are some pinball museums, like the older pinball is electromechanical, um, and that tends to like be conserved, I think, a little better than some of those electromechanical amusements but yeah it's um it's a really like fascinating part of proto video game history that uh just due to how old and complex and how many moving parts and i mean like think about just the process of moving one of those from one space to oh another with like a thousand little tiny moving parts and plastic figurines and stuff. I mean, yeah, the, the upkeep on them, like I don't even want to, I don't even want to think about it. I'm glad I don't have to do. That. You're better off just creating like a fan recreation of it. But yeah, I'm looking at the Sega jumbo <laughs> elephant. It looks like, uh, yeah, try and look at this thing. Sega jumbo. It's like, if I, gas canister was a character and turned into an elephant it's just the ugliest weird thing with this gross looking nose but i was fascinated by this i think we talked about it on party chat i think michael called in to talk about it because it's weird to think about like the fact that sega published tembo which was that game about an elephant from game freak like if sega knew their own history they should have just been like let's change it to jumbo let's revive jumbo for the current generation <laughs> bring back <laughs> Sega's jumbo. jumbo yeah Jumbo's lots of mom? people oh hang on Jumbo, Jumbo, yeah, Jumbo is Dumbo's mom. I think that's her name, right? With with all due respect, Dumbo's to... mom, Mrs. Jumbo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, there may be so a lot of people Google, have do not memories. Google Jumbo LBJ. Uh, don't find out Jumbo's connection to our president Lyndon Johnson because yeah. you won't be happy with. Try what and finding. stop me. I'm going to put it on the screen right now. <laughs> uh, Joe Dean writes in and says, "Hey, everybody, we need to talk about Hot Ganon." After the last Nintendo Direct, Sarah dedicated an entire stream to why Tears of the Kingdom should have hot Ganon doing a face turn. So I want to know your thoughts on sexy good Ganon. Should Ganon be irredeemable? Or after so much time, should we have should be have finally should he have finally become a good person and also be hot? Will it happen in Tears of the Kingdom? Supporting evidence for him being hot is that his voice, assuming it's his, doesn't sound like it belongs to the dried up shell. Uh, but to a moisturized Ganon instead, as Sarah would put it. Um, yeah, is was it, he hot in Twilight Princess? Do people like that? He's a pretty good look there. I think right? he was. Yeah, I mean, I, th Princess. I think Ganon's been, you know, pick your game, but been hot for a while. But he's always uh, like... The question is, is he good? <laughs> can you be hot if you have, like, grayish green skin and bright orange hair? No offense, Kyle. Are you ready to hear the answer to this question? <laughs> Bro, look <laughs> at Midna. questions you don't want to hear the answer to. Yeah, I guess it's game on for everything. He just, he always looks sickly. Isn't, isn't it part of his thing? He's like muscly and sickly. <laughs> I don't see him as sick. I just, I think that he just sick has like different cool. skin. 
Okay. Like nasty. Okay. Okay. So I mean, I'm open to it. By the way, Todd Gannon, who's a good guy, sure, surprise me. I'll take it. I do like that idea, as again Sarah would put it, beef jerky Gannon that we've seen from Tears of the Kingdom. Like, if he does like pop out, they have to make it distinct. So we have higher odds of a hot Ganon in Tears of the Kingdom than I feel like at any other time in Ganon history. I don't think he's ever. I I will say, I, I personally don't find him hot, but I don't think he's ever been ugly. Like, really? Yeah, like he's. Well, I mean, he's, he's not like. like a pig. He, he's yeah. I guess maybe pig Ganon. Sure. Pig yeah, Ganon. Zelda two like, Ganon. Dwarf versus Ganon. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah, like I don't know. He's just some dude. Right. Right. But there are more Sarah interesting have... fake villains, or not not fake villains necessarily, but like you know, not the big bad villains in Zelda, like Twilight Princess and and Skyward Sword, like you know. The the one the Skyward twi- Sword guy was a freak. Yeah, <laughs> I like Girahim was the hottest Zelda character I've seen in my life. I was super into Girahim. So like if like if Girahim was truly the big bad and Ganondorf was like this guy's too much for me, I'm gonna help you. Like, right, I'd be into that. Sure, <laughs> why not? Um, and then as we all know, yeah, if you're hot, you're redeemed. I think that's your answer, Joe Dean. Is uh, they can do nothing wrong. Uh, Tokyo Game Life says, Hey, Min Max, uh, oh, this is good. Names of titles in the Kirby franchise start with either Kirby or the possessive Kirby's. Let's see if you can match the subtitle with the correct usage of Kirby. Okay. <sighs> Kelsey. So it either belongs to him or he's just there. Right. Kelsey, how hard are you flexing right now before we jump into this? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually curious how I'm going to do on this. Okay. One. This is, All right. this, this is a challenge, I think. Okay. Uh, Kelsey, is it Kirby or Kirby's with an apostrophe for Dreamland? Kirby's. Correct. Kyle, Air Ride. <laughs> apostrophe S. Don't be an idiot. Air Ride is Kirby Air Ride. Oh, no. <laughs> Jacob. I was epic, so confident. Epic Yarn. Uh, apostrophe S. Yes. He does own the Epic Yarn, yes. Uh, right. Janet, Pinball Land. That's like the one I haven't played. <laughs> um, I'm going to say Kirby. Incorrect. That is Kirby's. Okay. I'm sorry. Kelsey. Wait, wait, hey. By the way, did I... Did I see that they're bringing the Kirby Motion Game Boy game to Switch yeah, Online? Yeah, Tilt and Tumble's coming to Switch, yeah. And that's going to, like, function? Oh, think? It's got a gyroscope in it, yeah. yeah. So it'll be I'm the first... About that. I desperately wanted to rent that game as a child, and I could never find it. It seemed so interesting to me. So, and now it found you, so there you go. wait. Is it going to be the I first... I bought it after I had a Game Boy Advance SP, which, like, doesn't... Because of the way Was you it see it, it in there, it uh, yeah, it like does not work the way it's supposed oh no. to. So I mean, that's interesting to know that like the Nintendo emulation is accounting for gyro. That would be the first example of it, right? It'd have to be. Probably yeah. That's weird. I got to bring Wario uh, WarioWare Twist. Yeah, that's, a good that's game. it. Yeah. Uh, okay, Kelsey. What about this Squeak Squad? I hear so much about Kirby or Kirby's. Kirby's. Oh, I'm sorry. It is Kirby Squeak Squad. (laughs) Kyle, Star Allies. A a Kirby. Correct. Jacob, Dream Collection. Uh, Kirby's. Way to go. Ending on a high note, everybody. Great job, great job. Yeah, if I... If I was president of Nintendo, this would be the first thing I would clean up. It's just, what are we doing here, people? We need to make up our mind. Figure this crap out. 
Uh, Rabid Lime says, Ahoy, cohorts. Uh, better quest goal. Get back to my previous cycling ability, which was mighty, like Awa. After a health thing knocked me on my butt most of the past year and a half, I've finally gotten back in the saddle and started cycling again. A few episodes ago, Kyle and Ben were talking about great Steam Deck games for stationary bikes. Aside from Vampire Survivors and Dome Keeper, which, by the way, I... Domekeeper, it would have been in my top seven of last year. Like, I have 100%ed that game at this point. It is so good. Anyways, um, have any other suggestions? Do you have any other suggestions for workout games? Finding a balance of upbeat and mindless is a tall order. I found Crypto Nectar Dancer is fantastic, but hit me with some other games I can play while on an exercise bike, please. Uh, new one for me, which I've actually been off the bike for a week or two now because I haven't been feeling well, but um, it's Hi Fi Rush. You get oh, into okay. the, the, the Aisle, rhythm. same. Yeah, get the rhythm of the game with the pedaling, you know, and uh, go from there. It's great. I've been playing um, SpongeBob SquarePants, the Cosmic Shake, like that 3D platformer, um, and I've actually really been enjoying it. And the weird thing is, like, I've never really seen SpongeBob. I don't really understand SpongeBob. And so it's like the first game where I'm like, I'm just skipping all these cutscenes. I don't want to hear them talk. I think there's some fine jokes in there from what little I've seen. But, like, I just want a kind of upbeat solid 3D platformer. That's exactly what Cosmic Shake is. you think you're is. the uh, only person on Earth playing that game who has no <laughs> yes. connection to the character I, I think, of SpongeBob? I think so, and I'm proud of it. But I was looking into it, and there's a documentary that somebody recommended in the community about like the speed running for Battle for Bikini Bottom, and that's what led to the remaster. It's kind of like a revival of that game and all that stuff. But it turns out, it's just a fascinating little stat from that doc that I learned, that the SpongeBob series of games collectively at this point they've sold over 20 million copies so like spongebob as a gaming franchise is just as popular as mass effect the entire Tales series all of SimCity, all of the castlevania games it's like top tier game franchise that no one likes to talk about but yeah this game's good any other good exercisey ones um i actually randomly booted up uh, gta 4 and i actually found like driving around while riding the bike was pretty good too. Okay. That does seem fun. Uh, Chris H says, Hey everybody. Uh, we have now seen what a mushroom apocalypse looks like. Thanks to the last of us. My question is what is the food based apocalypse? You'd be happiest to see personally. Great question. So is this the idea that everyone is going to turn into that food? Like they turn into mushrooms? I don't know about turn, but the food will lead to our, downfall in some way I think well in the reason. show it was the flower that led to the downfall <laughs> right but because the fungus got in the flower right okay. mm. yeah but that right yeah. for the sake of this question yeah, we can just pick any food even though it's like yeah. mushroom. Mean, it's specific to the fact that they're fungi so like they right. have the capacity to do that like a cucumber can do that <laughs> but can I just <laughs> throw out cucumber you know what I mean like is that what the you can throw out cucumber yeah we how, can about, all, how about yeah. just like I don't want to live through the apocalypse. So just like water, you know, it's like there are mm. no survivors. It's just like day one done. No, but, no I mean, one. but if you can choose, wouldn't it be more fun to make it a twist? Like my first thought was this food that I've had this kind of renaissance with and to call it a food is a stretch, but French vanilla creamer. I don't know if there's a tastier substance on earth. So like, what about like, instead of water, if it's just rain and French vanilla creamer everywhere, kind of like a cloudy with a chance of meatball situation. Yeah. Wait, okay, oh, the so food, it is the, the food is... <laughs> okay. I, I have no idea. I thought of this question because I had no idea where this was going, <laughs> and it turns out we cannot agree on it at all. But, I, yeah, I love... Like, are you saying, like, we're going to die in a flood of French vanilla creamer? Like, If, if God willing is what I'm saying, Kelsey. 
Like I've read about that molasses flood, and it does yeah. not sound oh like a fun and happy time. How bad could it have been? Also, I don't think I want to eat food that comes from the sky. Like no matter how, like even no matter how much people convince me, like no, this is literally just French vanilla creamer. Right. Like, I'm still just going to be like, yeah, but it's not like. It came from the sky. Like, I don't think it should taste like this. But nature is more pure. It's like eating fruit fresh off a tree. You're not going to question it, you know? It's, if it's French vanilla, it's from the sky. That's good to go. Hey, <laughs> Janet, can you rate Can you rate how gross this is? Sure. Every once in a while, if I just... I, I have a real sweet tooth. Every once in a while, I'll just take open the French vanilla creamer and just tiny... To call it a swig is too much, but I wet my tongue with a little French vanilla creamer from the fridge are, and then I move on. Are you s- pouring... Do you put your mouth on the on the bottle of it? Yeah, yeah, I suck at like a baby bottle. That's okay. What you're asking. Um, that is probably if with ten being the grossest, yeah. it's probably like like an eight at least. Eight, it's pretty gross. But I think yeah. there's grosser things that you have told me that you've it? done with food. So no, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm the only that, that's I'm the, the nine one. Ten I'm the only one that uses it. I mean, it's really just very like bachelor energy. Thank like, you. I, thank I wouldn't you. call it gross. I'd call it like. Cool like bachelor. Yeah, married bachelor. life didn't change then. <laughs> well, it's, it's just so weird that that's what's. And I think I, okay. the fact that it's kind of like in that dairy vein. I feel like there's stuff with dairy that like you can't. You can do with other foods that you can't do with. Well, dairy it's the Seinfeld stuff. thing. Like, isn't it the Seinfeld bit of like you can't share a glass of milk? Isn't that a thing? Like, you can share a beer, but oh wait, maybe that's Adam Carolla. I forget. I don't know, but I agree with that though. Like something about yeah. like. Oh, have a like it's same thing with like the like soup and like liquidy stuff. Ma- soup mm. maybe could be okay, but it's like I would never offer. Oh, here, taste some of my cereal. That's disgusting. Right. Yeah, like, that's, that's too personal. So gross. Mm-mm. Taste Mm-mm. any of anything else I'm eating, and I don't mind. But like cereal, oh, there's like an intimacy with like the yes. fact that it's I don't know milk that is gross. So that's D- why it's gross. Dairy um, is intimate. Also, okay. the way you described it, you're like I just slowly like dip my tongue into it. That's I didn't say dip my tongue into it like I'm lapping it up. You said wet my tongue. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's if just wet my beak. Picture that is like I just picture the saliva dipping into the creamer that you dip in later. It's Tell you what, gross. I'll I'll share it on Instagram tomorrow so everyone can see. <laughs> these, <laughs> just stop. Don't drink creamer straight. I don't drinking it. Why do stretch. you do that? It's just like it tastes it's weird. Good. Hey, look, do we have more questions to get? everybody ricky maru I have questions <laughs> no more questions. this question ricky maru writes in and says hello min max another quick game for y'all i call this game ship it or skip it this year is going to be massive for new game releases however there's been a recent trend of games being canceled or shut down within a year of launch making games feel less safe to invest time and money into for the following games you will choose either ship it Launch the game as is, just to get it out there, no matter what state it's in in development, or <laughs> skip it, delay the game out of this year to potentially save it. Ship it or skip it. Um, Skull and Bones, ship it or skip it? I think we just ship, ship it. it. Ship it, just rip off the band-aid. It, like, what, what's going to happen to Skull and Bones right. if it has another year of development? Exactly. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> just rip off the band-aid. Right off. Uh, Redfall. Ship it. We don't know what it is. What? So we like, need to know what it is. I mean, <laughs> ship it so we can know what it is. Well, I mean, because like I, I but like if what are we f- fixing or changing if we skip it? Like I just want to see what the game is. Well, yeah, they play? seem excited the about what they have, but, but maybe why it's wouldn't a little, they be? Because they're yeah, selling have you me. Have played it. Left 4 Dead? It's a good game. <laughs> How dare you? It's not Left 4 Dead. Is it? Is it? I don't know. That, I'm gonna skip it on this one to be like, give them another year. Maybe they can crack something and like I want that game to be as polished as whatever it's gonna be coming out the door. You know. Uh, Maybe they can communicate what it is by then. That's us. true. Yeah. 
don't and know. Then, it didn't help Deathloop. And then I played that game not knowing what I was going to play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Crash Team Rumble, ship it. I mean, it's it's not going to be done, but I think it'd be more interesting as a janky, broken multiplayer experience. So get it out the door, please. Uh, Suicide Squad, kill the Justice League. I think we're Dip too it. like. I think I think we're too much the same to do this game because I I also agree to ship ship everything. Ship like it's too everything. late. No, it's no, not no. gonna be good. I, I never believed in you. Just come. <laughs> I I disagree because if you give them another year, they can make it not Gotham Knights. You know, they can okay. learn that everyone hates this. Shit and right. so they can change what the game is. All right. Okay, with that philosophy, Janet, Last of Us Factions. Oh, you shipping man. it or you skipping it? Probably going to well, be as good. Is, I don't know how far they are in that. Probably I'm not ready to go. I'm going to skip it because I just don't think it's ready. Yeah. Also, I think someone else Freaking has it Leo's in the art. Fantasy Critic. So, <laughs> like, uh, smart. Okay. All right. Uh, what do y'all like for question of the week? Ben uh, drinks creamer. That was not a question. <laughs> that was food apocalypse. That was this is from the food question. Yeah, I guess Kyle can get this copy of Stray. Uh, there's, yeah, food apocalypse. There's things that look the same after all these years. Kelsey's great car points. What, what um, was the first question? The one about had? books. I guess what it was book the book writing? one. I mean, that was the biggest talker, certainly. Uh, the cultural cuisine one, I think, was good. I'm, I'm leaning bookie, but I can be persuaded. I don't want to have a vote in this because I just talked a lot. So that interesting, <laughs> interesting. Janet, Kyle, book, sure, book it, Dano. Nick from Atlanta, congratulations! You got Stray for PS5. Congratulations! Now it's time for something we'd like to call get a load of this. All right, who's got the best one? Who's got the best one? I'll tell you who's got the best one. Oh, Jacob Geller does. <laughs> uh, he's he's not on this podcast, so I can uh, make him get a load of this. Get a load of this. Leo Vader just dropped a new video on YouTube that has uh, one of the funniest last lines of any video I've watched, his wow. or otherwise. Um, you really think he can outdo every other video that he's done? Yeah, can, is it funnier <laughs> than that? Consecutively the funniest. Is it funnier it's than so, the slappy I, reveal? I, Leo is the only person that I laugh out loud constantly watching a video by myself. Like, it right. doesn't happen with anyone else. Maybe it's just because of our, our, our uh, almost not parasocial connection. But it's called <laughs> How Much Would a PS5 Cost uh, in In Time Time? Where he takes that stupid Justin Timberlake movie from, like, 10 oh, years ago where you right. pay for That's things amazing. in time and he tries to figure out the currency and then <laughs> asks how much like how much time of your life would a ps5 That's cost so good uh, and it's them. so it's so funny it's so goddamn funny <laughs> awesome that's uh youtube.com slash leovator everybody uh let's see um i'll do mine real quick here uh yoko taro everybody's favorite developer of the near series and whatnot um he announced his new game and it's a game called 404 Game Re Colon Set. And it, it's reimagining Sega's games as women. And it's a mobile game where you battle oh, okay. as different women that are per, the personification of games. Where it's like, here's just the hot lady who ha, who is Virtual Fighter. Here is Virtual Cop Lady. Here's this, the uh, Afterburner character. Isn't this character. just Hyperdimension Neptunia? Neptunia? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> uh, no, no. This is a genius game from Yoko Taro, so it's completely different. <laughs> it's uh, not related. But there's links below for all these weird things. But Kelsey, what do you got? 
Um, I have, oh, I'm sorry, get a load of this. Thank you. I have been watching a bird a lot on Instagram that is fascinating. <laughs> um, his name is Apollo, and he is an African gray parrot. Um, and it's just, it's following this couple as they try to make this parrot the smartest parrot in the world. And <laughs> it is, it's fascinating. So, like, they do a lot of, you know, kind of stuff you would expect where it's like he can, um, call out different colors and materials and words and like you know he knows that this is a bell and it's a purple bell and it's made of metal wow. and like all of that stuff um, but the funniest parts to me is like the stuff that he kind of accidentally learns um, so they posted a video of him uh, chewing on his cage and while he's chewing on his cage he keeps scolding himself and being like hey no chewing Apollo oh, stop weird. and it's <laughs> <laughs> just the funniest thing. But the, I mean, I do that too. This, <laughs> but the, the, this parrot in general is just really fun to like watch learn things. Like I've been, this is so dorky, but I've been following this bird for a while now. And it's like, you can tell when he like gets a new concept oh, and like weird. He's practicing it. And like, I think he's pretty smart. He's pretty smart. <laughs> I love that we all have our unhealthy parasocial relationships. Mine is all of Double Fine. <laughs> Jacob's is Leo Vader. And Kelsey's is a bird who's learning to talk. <laughs> you know how it goes. You know, that's weird. Uh, Kyle? Um, this uh, Get a load of this. This just struck me as odd. Um, uh, Netflix is removing Arrested yes! Development. What the hell? Library, which is like... Just so strange to me. And also like another a pro in the column of like, hey, you know, maybe physical media is good. I, I'm removing <laughs> Netflix from my life. <laughs> I don't care anymore. That arrest development is just so like integral to Netflix to me at this right. point. And it also I also gave me this weird moment of like, I should probably w finish watching that fourth season. And then I was like, I think I'm good. I don't I don't I think Wait, you like never finished life the fourth season. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Or no, the fifth. I'm sorry, okay, the fifth okay. season. And I was just, and it's just like I had to sort of reconcile like with myself. It's like, what does that say about me? Is that I adored the first three seasons of Arrested Development, like best TV show ever caliber. Right. And then I watched the fourth season and I was like, okay, they were trying something. And then I didn't even make it through the you don't fifth have season. To. And now you don't it's have going to. away. And I'm like, I don't know. Do I care? It's so <laughs> like, sad. It's what so does that weird. say about myself? I don't know. No one knows. Uh, Janet? Uh, get a load of this. I saw this on Kotaku earlier today, uh, a write-up on a Japanese museum that reunites gamers with their lost retro games. The museum's called the Named Cassette Museum in Tokyo, and basically they have this collection of like games that have, you know, and I'm sure Kelsey, you see a lot of time, people writing their names on the cartridges and stuff, and oh, old fun. games they turn in. So, like, the idea is that you can, like, go in there, if you see a cartridge that's yours, because it has, like, your personal info on it, you can, like, claim that it's yours and you have to let the director deliver the game by hand and then you buy it for a price that you choose and then you also have to agree to like let them do like a little quick documentation of oh, fun. the story of you in that cartridge like for their website um and like you know how you think it might have gotten lost and like memories you have from this game so um yeah it's just a cute little nod to i think something that was so much of the era before physical media was like microscopically small like what switch cartridges right, and things right. um so yeah just kind of cute that's awesome i that i have the... reunited people with stuff that they've lost like i've had stuff traded into the store with like you know 
identifying information on it. I don't, we, we take off things like, you know, names. And actually one time someone carved their social security number into a Super I remember, Nintendo game. I remember which you I telling me that. still cannot get, like, I will never get over that. I don't understand. Do you remember what the game was? I don't, it was a Super Nintendo game, but I don't remember what, what game it was. the hell? What game would you guys carve your social security number into if you had to? Uniracers, probably. Yeah, Uh, it was a gold copy of Ocarina of Time. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Um, I was going to say, Ben, didn't you do that memory card thing? Yeah. uh, Where that was kind of that, where you'd be like, what's this person's character in Tony Hawk? Yeah, that was my favorite series at Game Informer. Jeff Cork and I did just three episodes of it. It's called Memory Card Archaeology. And the idea was we went to used game stores and bought random memory cards and then tried to figure out, could we hang out with this person based on booting up their saves, which was a thing we could only do at Game Informer. Bring that back. Well, the problem is we can only do it at Game Informer because they had the vault of almost every game ever made. So no matter what, we could boot up the game. I got you. Well, I know you have a lot of games, but I don't know if it's every game ever made. And there's, I, you know, somebody in the community as well who's volunteered it. So maybe we could do like a not quite as good version that would take more time. It was kind of just a, it was, I don't, Kyle, believe it or not, I was frustrated It was, it was a by fun it. bit to go and like, you even had video footage of you guys would go into the vault and grab yeah. all the games. And yeah, but, there were, um, I think you guys could do it. You we, know what I mean? You could do a new version of it. It would just, it would just take longer and it would be a little bit yeah. more planning, but I, I, I think you should consider it. I, it I love so those, fun. those videos. Those are great. And I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to bring up, I was angry about this a long time ago, but like we did three episodes. All of them are over like 130,000 views on YouTube, which was like amazing for us. And then I was I'm trying to make the case of this is something only Game Informer can do. And they all do really well. And it was met with, eh, we're not going to be doing more of those. I was like, what, what are Classic. we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, I'm, in a, I'm in a place of power now. Hey. So if you want to bring it back. Kyle's iron fist of content. Okay. Yeah, can't you just sneak stuff out of the vault now? I think it's fine. Well, yeah, fine. I don't know Bring where the vault is. It's on a... Yeah, the vault's know. in like a shipping container. Yeah, being shipped to <laughs> no Abu Dhabi. Yeah. This is quickly becoming the plot of like a very... A game I've played a lot of times. <laughs> Wait, it's dive on oceans. Office? There is no new office. No. The Game Informer's all remote. Wait, but they were building a new office. What happened? Kelsey, it's a long story. We could talk about it up here oh later. Oh, God, okay. There is no new office. Hey, get a load of this. Uh, from the community, uh, we have the whole channel in the Discord. Uh, Willy Dilly <laughs> submitted Classic. this, and they say, the pinned comment in this YouTube video is from the arranger of the music track. After hearing the podcast last week, I could not sim- th- stop thinking about this one and had to share. Last week, we were talking about positive comment section on... Uh, video game music tracks on YouTube and stuff. So uh, the top comment for uh, this YouTube video, I, I guess I'll, I'll play it first. This is this is the track. It's a Final Fantasy 13-2's Chocobo song um, where they say at a certain point, are we in hell? I don't know, let's go. All right, so the, the pinned comment there, uh, it's from the person who arranged it, and he says, when I was arranging this track, I didn't want to go doom slash gloom metal, knowing how electric the Final Fantasy fans are. I wanted a chorus that said chocobo over and over, because it's a fun word. And who doesn't want to imagine writing a chocobo? Due to my history of me loving the PlayStation 1 Final Fantasy games, um, I was so excited and honored to get this gig of making the song. When the song came out, 
it was negatively received, overbearingly negatively. It seemed to be a complete fail. My ego took a huge hit. I did my best to move on. Being a gamer myself and getting a job like this, it made it super personal for me. 10 years later, I see this YouTube video on my feed, decided to take a look, and there's 1.3 million views on it. Now there's more likes than dislikes, and people are commenting how much they love it. Some are exclaiming that it's amazing or it's made their day. What a fantastic feeling almost a decade later. I feel like I want to share at this point, whether you swing a hammer or write music, quote, do your thing. You will respect yourself for it. When people claim you've ruined something, write articles bashing you, upload videos mocking you, it could mean you're on the right path. Take a chance or risk being normal. Quote, let's ride. <laughs> So, there we go. That's really cute. Chocobo's uh, songs redeemed for Final Fantasy Uh All right. That is it for this episode of the MinMax Show podcast. Thank you so much for watching, uh, watching or listening to it, helping to share it. Um, if you watched or listened to it very early, you can still jump in for Trivia Tower. Trivia Tower is happening this Thursday, February 16th. It is the blank check crossover episode of Trivia Tower, where it's all movie trivia. We got a ton of great stuff to give away, including an Astro A30 headset. It's going to be a fun time so any help sharing that even if you tune in after the fact is going to be appreciated i'm very excited to to do that and to finally connect a little bit more to yeah my favorite gaming podcast or just podcast i should say which is blank check um also you jump in there support us on trivia tower even if you watch it after the fact you just want to help support the show you can jump in at that two dollar tier on patreon help support independent games media if you support this show you can help support us directly over there on patreon um we have a new goal is the big thing um if we hit 3,400 Patreon supporters total, which we are dangerously close to, we will be creating a documentary all about the pets of MinMax. This was a suggestion from the Discord. And I was like, oh yeah, of course. Why haven't we done that? Let's make a whole video showing off Jacob Geller's dogs, Janet's cats, Kyle's dogs and cats, Kelsey Lewin's bird and dog. Um, it'll be a very cute, lovely video as a thank you if we hit 3,400 supporters. So please... Let us learn more about Kelsey's parrot and um, all of the words that it can say by letting us hit 3,400 supporters on Patreon. Was that Kelsey? You could say one. Oh, well, don't reveal what that yeah. word is. It might be <laughs> thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, thank you so much, everybody. We appreciate it. Also, uh, Kelsey, I know we need to talk about it at some point, but you opened a whole new branch of Pinkerilla. I did, yeah. Back in uh, in January, we have a brand new location in the Capitol Hill area of Seattle, which is um, cool because even if you don't live in Seattle, um, it's walkable from the convention center. So if you ever here for PAX or right. Comic Con or Sakura Con or um, you know whatever conference you go to here in Seattle, um, it is you know it's a little bit of a walk, but it is totally walkable from the convention center. So um, yeah, if you're in the area ever, come check it out because we're very proud of it it's like it's the first time i feel like we've been able to just do all of the things we wanted to do inside of a store like we we got a brand new neon sign for it all Sweet. the paint looks great the floor is great like I'm, I'm happy with it awesome uh let's see kyle hilliard check out game informer site please uh janet christia check out kind of funny stuff or uh janet's own patreon Penda pixels as well uh jacob geller check out the something rotten podcast with blake hester yes that's right and i've got uh if you're listening to this on thursday i've got a new video on the god of war twos uh, out right now awesome hey uh jacob um do I understand you or not? I was really losing sleep about this. Um, that game that's coming out called Crime Boss Rock A City. I was like, is, does this have that something rotten kind of vibe that's up your alley? Do you know this oh, game? Oh, gosh. 
<laughs> the one with all the weird actors like the 90s yes. action it just it feels like an old ben, sleazy type of maybe. game maybe okay that that is what we've talked about on that podcast is how those kind of games don't really get made that much anymore right but that might be one it feels like one okay anyways uh thank you so much to everybody who supports us on patreon uh and especially everybody at the 50 dollars tier the game champion tier they can choose any game under the sun we declare them the champion of it and then they're in the poll for what we create bonus content about but divorced cougar don't forget they are the champion of art style colon pictabits prettygoodpranking.com is the uh champion of defend your castle just us league is the champion of ssx tricky trampoline tales of course is the champion of luck be a landlord now on steam matt mini 2008 2008 is the champion of thousand arms i love that what a good choice matt mini 2008 and that's it thanks everybody be good have fun let's go Bye.